Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandy Pond. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll be talking about Monopoly. And I'll be talking about good, solid police work. Will you? I will you really? <laughs> or will it be horribly upsetting? I don't know. Perhaps you should listen and find out. Well, now I know you're lying because you do know. <laughs> I do believe you do know. I do. I actually had to research this case. So, oh, fun fact. Hello, everyone. Hello. I almost said welcome to the bonus it's episode. It's not the bonus it's episode. It's not. No. Is it just a regular bonus? Or, geez. Mm-hmm. It's a regular episode. I almost said regular bonus episode. I know you did. I know you did. It's just a regular episode. Mm. Um, you got any got any news you want to share? Well, I was in a real bad mood today. You sure were. <laughs> <laughs> I picked it up, though. We you went did. To lunch. We had a lovely lunch, and you pulled it together. Well, it's amazing what a couple cocktails and some pasta will do for a gal. Uh, yeah, I was in a real bad mood, uh, but I'm I'm pulling it together. Yeah. How about you? I'm I'm great. Oh, I'm Brandy. <laughs> I'm Brandy. My pores are small. My butt is big, and my life is good. <laughs> I'm getting that tattooed. <laughs> Uh, should we remind the people about our upcoming live show? I think we should. Woo, that's right, folks. You heard it here last week for the first time. We're going to remind you because we're terrified no one's going to come to it. We are doing a live show <laughs> here in Kansas City at Planet Comic Con, Kansas City. Um, we are performing on... Friday, March 17th at 8 p.m. All you have to have is a ticket to, like a general ticket to Planet Comic Con, which you can purchase on their website, which is planetcomiccon.com, right? Is that right? I would assume it's planetcomiccon.kc.com. Right. Let's see. Let's see who's Let's right. Let's see, shall, shall we? we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is just planetcomiccon.com. Wow. All right. Uh, and yeah, you just need the ticket for that day, so a... a Friday, March 17th ticket will get you into our show, but seating is first come, first serve. So I don't know what that means. I have no idea how many seats are in this space that we're performing in. Uh, My sincerest apologies. But you do know what first come, first serve means. Yes. (laughs) I did. Did it sound like I didn't know what that meant? Sound like you were deeply stupid. (laughs) Anyway, we would love for you to come see us. It's at the Kansas City Convention Center, uh, which is... Where conventions are held in Kansas City. Well, if that doesn't bring them in, and I'm I don't know. tapped for info. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are going to be talking about the Key West Corpse Bride, which we did on a bonus episode. So mm. you may have already heard that case, or you may not have, and it has become my entire personality now. So That's right. <laughs> I'm considering moving to Key West and doing a Carl Tanzler tour. It'll be horribly disgusting. Oh, it would be so interesting. All right. Anyway, here's the thing. If you can't make it to the live show, you know what you should do? 
What? Go fist yourself. No. Or you could sign up for our Patreon and hear. Oh, when see, you- that was very good where I covered the case. Absolutely. You looked horrified. I, you told our listeners to go fist themselves. They know I'm kidding. <laughs> And those who don't have their fists jammed, <laughs> jammed way up there right now. And they feel silly. <laughs> no, sign up for our Patreon. At the $5 level, you get access to all kinds of bonus episodes. I mean, seriously, we've got a ton of them on yeah, there. like 44? Almost too many, people are saying. That is, I can't even listen to it all. That's what a lot of people have said. $5? Yeah. What a bargain. Some podcasters still know, know how to do business. Who's going to be at Planet Comic Con while we're also there? <laughs> yeah, Rachel Lee Cook. Maybe yeah. she'll wear those glasses. Maybe and she'll take Mr. them off. Fee-hee-hee-hee-hee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, William Shatner. Yeah. Also, this creepy clown guy. What creepy clown guy? I, from the, the, oh, what's it from? Um, fuck, where'd he go? He was just up. It's like a rotating thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got black and white clown makeup on. He's from The Terrifier. That's what it's from. Great. It looks scary. <laughs> I should close this window now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's the thing that's happening. And you should sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> also, amazingly, we still have juvenile Bigfoot <gasps> hoodies for that's sale on right. the website. LGTCpodcast.com. You can find those hoodies. And that's all you can that's find. That's all you can find. You know, there's also stickers there and a few T-shirts left. And that's probably all you can find. Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> a downer of a plug. You know what I propose we do now? Now that we've intrigued people about the live show, we've sent them to the Patreon. Yeah. What should we do? An ad? This is the end of the ad. We are back from the ad. (laughs) Did you miss us? We are back from the ad. Mm. Mm. You ready to hear a tale? Yeah. Mm, Okay. What? You got stuff to say? Actually, no. I know I sounded like I... You sure did. (laughs) Well... The name that you called dibs on sounded mildly familiar to me, but I couldn't okay. put my finger on it. I would be shocked if you have not heard this story because this is very much like a Kristen case and a Brandy case had a little baby. Hmm. All right. Go on. Are you intrigued? Yeah. Okay. Shout outs to an episode of 48 Hours that I read and did not watch. An episode of Dateline that I listened to but did not watch. Mm -hmm. And an entry from ChillingCrimes.com. Boy, that is you, you, you. Okay. That's right. Heather Bogle was struggling. In April of 2015, the 28-year-old single mother found out that she had failed her nursing boards. And she was in the midst of a breakup with her girlfriend of about a year, Carmela Badillo. Also, side note, it's allergy season here in Kansas City, folks. So sorry about my little nasal, nasal, nasally sound. We don't want to hear about your hardships. I made Kristen turn the fan off because it was making my allergies worse. And she's using up Kleenex. like Left and right. I've used two so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've been recording for 11 minutes. <laughs> Carmela 
and Heather had met at the Whirlpool factory in Sandusky County, Ohio, where they both worked. I believe the factory was in Clyde, Ohio, and that Heather and Carmela lived in Fremont, Ohio, for anybody local who cares. Okay. (laughs) It was Heather's first same-sex relationship, and reportedly there was plenty of love in the relationship, but there was also a ton of jealousy. As Heather was like super beautiful and like got hit on by men all the time. And that made Carmela really insecure and jealous. Okay. This resulted in a lot of arguments between the between between. How did I say? Did I just say between like the weirdest way you could possibly say it? But I enjoyed it immensely. (laughs) This resulted in a lot of arguments between the couple. And on Wednesday, April 8th, 2015, one argument in particular turned pretty nasty and it resulted in Heather and Carmela ending their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, uh, Heather has like a five-year-old daughter. Her five-year-old's father was never in the picture. One article said that her daughter may have been the product of a sexual assault, but I oh, never wow. saw it confirmed anywhere else. So I'm not, okay. I'm not positive, but the father was never in the picture. Gotcha. So, it's April 8th, 2015. Carmela and Heather get in this big fight. It, like, blows up, and they're like, we're done. This is the end of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Around that same time, I believe, actually, that very same day, Heather's brother learned that she had failed her nursing boards. So Heather had, like, That worked- shit terrifies me, by the way. Oh, Yeah. The idea that you would work that hard yeah. at something and then so Heather fail the worked test. nights at this whirlpool factory so that she could right. go to school during the day and also be able to see her daughter and so like she just you know worked herself to the bone to get through right. nursing school and then didn't pass her boards which is actually super common lots of people have to retake them but she was just feeling really down on herself for not passing her boards and mm-hmm. her brother found out about it and he texted her some really shitty text messages when he found out. Why? Uh, yeah, he called her. Um, so one of the messages he sent said that she was, quote, too stupid to pass her exam. And then he went on to call her, quote, typical trash. Wait, hold on. And then he said that she was just like her parents. Okay, did he really send these? Yes, he really sent these. Why, though? Um, We'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, like just this is... Oh, it's horrible. So she's already feeling terrible that she didn't pass. Right. And then she's going through like this breakup at the same time. And then now her brother is sending her these horrible messages. How old's her brother? In his 20s. Okay, so... (laughs) Not a child. He no. Okay. Yeah. As I mentioned, like, Heather had worked really hard while working nights at Whirlpool to get through nursing school. She just thought, like, this would be the key to providing a better life for her daughter. Yeah. And she was super upset when she found out she didn't pass her boards. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is terrifying. Like, you go through all the work of going to school mm-hmm. and then, It's yeah. a lot of pressure. And also, it's a ton of pressure. And it's expensive to retake your boards. Like... So it might be a while till she can afford to retake them. Like, yeah. Yeah. So on that day, April 8th, Heather left for work um, like she usually did for her overnight shift. What did her fucking brother do for a living? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Sorry, I'll calm down. <laughs> 
So she goes to her shift. She clocks in. She works the overnight shift. She works like a, a eight-hour overnight shift. And she clocked out at 6.17 the next morning on the 9th of April. And she was seen on, like, video camera leaving the Whirlpool factory with a bunch of other employees who got off that same shift at that same time. But Heather never came home. Her family tried repeatedly to reach her throughout that day on the 9th, and she didn't answer her phone. It just went to voicemail every single time. Her family started panicking, specifically her sister Jennifer. She was like, this isn't Heather. Like, her life is her daughter. She wouldn't just, like, disappear and leave her daughter. And so her sister reported her missing. And a search started for her. But there was no sign of Heather. The following day, her car was found. She drove an Oldsmobile Alero, and it was found parked in, like, a parking lot of the Somerton Apartments on Hickory Street, for anybody who wants to know. <laughs> Boy, you are really – you're getting for the locals That's here. Right. <laughs> um, this parking lot happened to be just about a mile from the Whirlpool factory. Okay. And so they're like, okay, here's her car. Maybe there's some clues. Um, they searched the car. They found a letter on the front seat of her car that was written by her girlfriend, Carmela. And it was like a breakup letter. It was bad. It had clearly been written the day that they'd had the fight. And Carmela put something in it to the effect of, like, you're dead to me now. And wow. so they're like, okay, has something, like, transpired between these two women? And then a further search of the car when they opened the trunk, they found Heather's body. Oh, my God. Heather had been badly beaten. She was clearly deceased when they opened the trunk. Uh, And they believed that this attack had been deeply personal because Heather's hair had been chopped off. Oh. Like almost like by a knife. It looked like it was a very jagged cut and it was very close to the scalp, like all over. Like all of her hair had been cut off. You don't usually hear about something like that. No. She had also just been horribly beaten. She'd been shot twice. Um, The shots were both to her back. Uh, But she had obviously been either naked or dressed in something else when she'd been shot because she had Mm -hmm. this very large Mickey Mouse t-shirt on. It was very oversized on her and there were no holes in the Mickey Mouse t-shirt. Right. Worth noting that uh, Heather's family said that she did not own any Mickey Mouse clothing. Because she's an adult. she's not a Disney adult. Yeah. Mm Um, it was yeah, I would that, want the record clarified for me, too. <laughs> right. It was clear that somebody else had put this shirt on her. There were also marks all over her body. There were marks on her wrists and ankles where it was clear that she had been bound. There were bruises all over her body. She had been placed like in a fetal position inside the trunk. And it was clear that she had not been killed inside this trunk. There were no bullet holes in the trunk and there wasn't enough blood. In the trunk. She had been killed somewhere else and then placed here. Mm-hmm. There were a ton of defensive wounds to Heather's body. She had fought and she had fought hard. Her hands and arms were very injured and her fingernails had been cut down like wow. to the quick. 
Like someone who knows. Like someone had intentionally, after her death, Mm -hmm. cut her fingernails down and chopped all of her hair off. It was very bizarre. Hmm. So police started looking into those who were closest to Heather to see, like, okay, what, like, who did this? This is very personal. Right. And so they looked into Carmela initially because they had had, they had had, like, a verbal altercation the day that Heather had gone missing. And then they'd found that note that said, you're dead to me. And so they went and talked to Carmela. But it was very clear that she had nothing to do with Heather's murder. She was devastated to find out that Heather had been killed. And so they cleared her pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. They then looked into Heather's brother, the one who had sent her those horrible messages. So actually, Heather's sister, Jen, was the one who's like, you need to look into into our brother. Like, he sent her these terrible messages. Like, maybe maybe Mm -hmm. he's capable of something that I I don't know. And so they looked into him. Um, and he admitted that he sent those messages, and but he said it was an attempt at tough love. No. That he was hoping that they would motivate her to retake her boards and not give up on her dream of becoming a nurse. Okay, so he is interviewed on the Dateline episode, and he does admit now that that was obviously the wrong tactic. And that, in fact, the messages that he sent were abusive. Well, I mean... Yeah, okay. I think that's great that he recognizes that. Yeah, that that is that is really important to recognize yes. that and that would be Assuming he has nothing to do with this. He d- would, has nothing to do yeah, with it. I mean, yes. it would be horrible. Yeah. To be basic- those are the last things that you said to your right, sister. Right. Yeah. And then she was brutally murdered. So with the people closest to Heather ruled out, the lead detective on the case, Detective Sean O'Connell of the Sandusky County Sheriff's Office, he went back to that apartment complex parking lot where Heather's Oldsmobile Alero had been found parked. He took a cadaver dog with him to the complex, and he said it led him to an apartment building within the complex, and it alerted on apartment B in that building. That apartment was home to Kiana Bohr. And when Detective Connell knocked on the door, Kiana opened it, but he found her to be evasive when answering questions. And so Detective O'Connell decided that he should look into her further. The dog had alerted on this apartment. Mm -hmm. She was super fucking weird when he opened the door. Weird in what way? Um, Didn't really want it. Like, only opened the door cracked, wasn't really open to answering his questions, got got rid of him as quickly as, as she could. Okay. And so um, he starts looking into Kiana. And he found out that on the day that Heather went missing, Kiana had posted a comment on Facebook that seemed kind of odd to him. It was a comment about how she could plead insanity and only do eight to ten years for murder. That was just a totally out of context. Maybe. Or maybe he just didn't know the context of it. Was the context I just murdered someone? (laughs) Could be. What's the other possibility? Or like somebody that she knew and was close to was just sentenced to 10 years for what she thought was kind of a minor crime. Oh. Oh, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. So he's like. So her friend got caught with some drugs. Mm -hmm. Is 
and got 10 years. That's correct. Oh, my God. Oh, so my God. She posts on Facebook about how, you know, she could. Yeah. And so this is someone who probably doesn't really super trust the police. So the police come a knocking. And, yeah, she's not one mm-hmm. to chat. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, maybe she even recognized the detective who was at her door no. as being the one to put away her friend no. for 10 years. Oh, yeah, so Kiana was, yeah, scared the day that Detective O'Connell knocked <sighs> on her door because she was smoking marijuana at the time. Oh, shit. And so she was like... Really surprised when someone knocked on her door. Yeah, of course. And even more fucking surprised when she opened it up and there's a detective standing there. Yeah. And then that surprise was even turned to fear when she realizes that the detective standing at the door is the detective who just put her child's father in jail for 10 <gasps> years on oh. a drug charge. Ooh. So, yeah, she might have been evasive. I bet she was. I bet she was. She's also a young black woman who... Yeah. Yeah, has maybe not been treated great by the police in the past. Right. So Detective O'Connell gets, you know, gets this interaction with Kiana. He decides he's going to go on her Facebook and see what she's up to. Mm-hmm. Finds the post about, you know, I could commit murder and plead insanity and be sentenced to eight to ten years, whatever. He's like, right. that's it. This is my person. And then he also discovered that a friend of hers had been at her apartment the night that Heather had disappeared. That friend was Omar Satchel. And Omar Satchel had a huge rap sheet, tons of arrests. He'd had charges for a home invasion, for firearms charges, some drug charges. He'd served time in prison. Mm -hmm. And he was at Kiana's house the night that Heather disappeared. Also, (laughs) get ready for this one, Kristen. I mean, okay. Just, Just wait. Just wait. Okay. How are they linked? Just wait, Kristen. Okay. I don't know if you heard that the body was found in that parking lot. I did hear that, but, like, you'd have to be a total fucking idiot to leave someone's body in a parking lot that was directly connected to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also, this is insanely personal. Yeah. It's not some random thing. Yeah. So... Here's the next part. Get ready. Okay. Okay. So when investigators had checked surveillance cameras in the surrounding area to see if they could capture Heather's car being left in that parking lot, there was a nearby surveillance camera that had picked up footage of a car that looked very similar to Heather's. And it was heading in the direction of the apartment complex. And behind it was what appeared to be a white SUV. You following along so far? <laughs> I mean, it's not tough. Okay. But the camera footage was super grainy. Okay. So, number one, they couldn't actually confirm that the car that looked like Heather's car was actually Heather's car. Mm-hmm. It just looked very similar to it. And then there, it was so grainy that there was no way to have any idea what make and model that white SUV was. You could just tell it was a white SUV. Okay. But... When investigators looked into Omar Satchel, they found a picture of him on Instagram sitting in a white SUV. Case closed. (laughs) Am I right? You are wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You are so wrong. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, this is so scary. Yeah. So Omar Satchel. 
one time sat one in time a white sat in a white SUV, SUV and a white SUV may have been seen driving behind a car that may have been Heather's. Oh, I hate this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You ready for the next part? Yes. Detective O'Connell had a confidential source no. that told him that there was a third person involved in this case. No. That person said, okay, so this confidential source said that Omar's friend, Kyrie Jeffrey, had dumped the murder weapon in the river. Mm-hmm. It had been like in a bag and they dumped the river in the bag. And so detective. They dumped the river in the bag. They dumped the bag in the river. <laughs> <laughs> and so Detective O'Connell sent a dive crew out to check the river. Uh-huh. They never found the bag with the gun Is inside. Is that because the confidential informant was either made up or just. I'm going to go with made up. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, there, there you go. You got your three suspects. How much river did they get in the bag before it filled yeah, up? Yeah, that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got, um, yeah, we've got, got nothing. Kiana, super, super guilty. We've got Omar, even guiltier. And we've got Kyrie Jeffrey, the guiltiest of all, right? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got n- absolutely nothing on Kyrie um, Excuse Jeffrey. me. The confidential source said that his friend said he dumped a gun in the river inside a bag. Listen, I listen to the Let's Go to Court podcast, <laughs> and I know that we can't always trust the confidential informants. Uh-huh. Okay, but what about that stuff with the white SUV? Pretty good, right? No, that's also stupid. Uh-huh. Do you know how many also, white cars are on the road? Also, that post on Facebook. Well, when you hear what else <laughs> happened that day, it makes a lot of sense. I agree. If if that hadn't happened that day, then yeah, maybe that's a little weird. Maybe mm-hmm. we look into it. But yeah. see, this is what drives me nuts about this shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the cadaver dog leads you to a certain apartment. Mm-hmm. You knock on the door. The person acts super weird. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, that's sure. look into them. Sure, mm-hmm. um, you see on their Facebook that they've talked about murder that day. Well, yeah, okay. yeah look yeah, into sure. them. But when you've got nothing else, sorry, you're yeah. done. Yeah. Okay. So there were a couple of issues with these three suspects. I would say so. Um, Mm-hmm. First, they all denied any involvement. Liars, in every last case. one of them, I'm sure. And they offered up their DNA for testing because they had managed to pull a profile from underneath what was left of Heather's fingernails. Yeah. Also, also, mm-hmm. have we figured out how any of these people are connected to Heather? Well, see, that's the other thing, is that there was no tie of any kind from any of these suspects to Heather. None of them had ever met her. Like, zero ties. But don't worry, Detective O'Connell has an explanation for that. So when Heather's autopsy was done, they found a small amount of marijuana in her system. <laughs> oh, my God. And so, obviously, she was there at the apartment that night to purchase marijuana. Mm-hmm. But none of these people are known drug dealers or anything. Like, Well, also, is this a common thing that happens to people who purchase marijuana? Are you kidding no. me? No. So, yeah. So, case solved. No. 
there was like one little tiny pesky detail that was causing Detective O'Connell some issues. And that was that he did test the DNA mm-hmm. that they offered mm-hmm. up. And it turns out that none of them were a match to the DNA profile that was found under Heather Bogle's fingernails. So he's going to ignore that. He's not oh, just going to... Oh, no, no, no. No, <laughs> hold on, hold okay. on. There's another person involved. No, no. No? He's not just going to ignore it. Okay. That's not enough. He's actually going to hide that information. Oh, fuck. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It's worse than I thought. It sure is. So he puts together this investigative report. Okay. Lining out why these are the three best suspects and submits it to the district attorney's office and asks for an indictment to be handed down against these three people. And assuming the DA is not a sack of shit, the DA says, hey, there's really not enough here. Um, So he intentionally omitted the DNA testing that had been Mm -hmm. done from this report, gives it to them. A grand jury at some point is convened. Unsure of how that all went down, but this case kind of stalled at this point. I bet it did. But Detective O'Connell was like, I know that I have the right people here. So do you know what he did? What? He released their names to the press as murder suspects. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, Kiana lost her job. Of course she She did. She had to pull her son out of school. Omar said everywhere he went, like, people were like, that's the guy who's accused of murder. Well, and not just murder, like... Oh, horrible, brutal murder. Torture murder. Yeah. hmm Holy shit. Yeah, released their names to the press. Did he get in any kind of disciplinary trouble for that? Mm, we'll see. Stay tuned. I will. I was thinking about leaving, but now I won't. <laughs> So all the while, Heather's family is, like, sitting in the background of this, and they're like, this is way off course. Oh, really? Yes. Wow, you don't often hear the victim's family? No. Okay. They did not believe that Detective O'Connell had the right people at all. And they, in fact, they said from one month into this investigation, they were telling him, like, this is not right. You're not on the right track here. Like, something is incorrect. At first... They actually were like, I think you need to look farther into Carmela. They right. thought that it was somebody very close well, to that, her. That would make more sense. Absolutely. You look into the romantic partners and this yeah. is, this has been a bad breakup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And but they I mean, Detective O'Connell was not hearing it. He was sure that he had the right people. Did he have a partner that he was working with or was this guy just flying solo? Okay, so here's the deal. Dumb as a rock. Kiana doesn't even think that the cadaver dog thing actually even happened. <coughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so fired up. No, I I agree. She thinks it's completely fabricated yeah. in that he just targeted her from the beginning because yeah. he had a vendetta against her child's father. Yeah. Yeah. And was like, oh, shit, I know this apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah. Here's three people that I can pin this on. What if, I'm sorry. (laughs) What if the dog is corrupt, too? (laughs) (laughs) He's just in it for the extra snacks. (laughs) Well, 
<laughs> you know, there are systemic problems with policing. <laughs> so I'm not saying all the dogs are bad. No, uh uh-uh. uh. It's more of a, a problem in general, yes. is what I'm saying. <laughs> so Heather's family is like, this investigation is not going the right direction. Like, yeah. we know that this is not the right direction. This is not what's happening here. Mm-hmm. But nobody was listening to them. And then an arrest was made. Not in this case. <laughs> what? Just in general, an arrest but, was um, made? The Sandusky County Sheriff was actually arrested. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. And turns out that he was stealing prescription pills from oh. county evidence. He got caught stealing them. Oh. And then it was also uncovered that he was using county funds to support his pill habit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was arrested. He was charged with, I don't know, like whatever, theft and mis- embezzlement. Who knows? And he was ultimately convicted. <laughs> it's actually Mrs. Embezzlement. Mrs. Embezzlement. <laughs> he was convicted and sentenced to four years in prison. So then that meant, upon his arrest, that a mm-hmm. new sheriff was put in place. Ooh, okay. So Sheriff Chris Hilton comes along, and he decides he's going to take a look at these ongoing cases. And Heather Bogle's case had just been, like, stretching on and on, and he just was like, I don't understand this. This seems like such a solvable case. Right. And so he decides he's going to look at Detective Sean O'Connell's investigative report. And so he goes looking at it, and he is like, dumbfounded by what he sees and he's like this is a fucking mess Mm -hmm. like this is not these are not the right people like he is he is twisting everything to make it fit his narrative these are not suspects in this case right there is nothing that ties them to this case at all um except for the marijuana hello yeah (laughs) Turns out that Kiana Bohr, Omar Satchel, and Kyrie Jeffrey had nothing to do with Heather Bogle's murder. Should never have been suspects in the case. Should never have had their names released to the press. Hell no. So Sean O'Connell initially was forced to resign. He was confronted about this and he was like, oh, you know, I was just doing the investigation. You know, I really think this is a good investigation. And they're like, "Uh, no, it's for sure not. And so he was forced to resign and he went to work managing a McDonald's. Okay. Eventually, though. Oh, God. He was arrested and charged with misleading a public official and destroying, concealing and tampering with evidence. What? Yeah. Keep talking. Yeah. And the whole time. So he was like interviewed by 48 hours, like after this arrest had happened, but Mm -hmm. before he went to trial. And Mm -hmm. he was like, they're like, do you really think that this was a good investigation? He's like, absolutely. I just didn't get a chance to finish it. And they're like, but there's nothing tying these suspects to this. And he's like, well, not yet. (laughs) Well, what are you going to make something up? Yeah. So he was all set to go to trial. And then. The day his trial was set to begin, he decided to take a plea deal. He would have to admit his guilt Mm -hmm. and plead guilty to one felony count of tampering with evidence by omitting the DNA results that had excluded the three suspects. Not good enough. No, I totally agree. I think he got off way too fucking easy. 
Well, and this is one of those things where, okay, you caught him this time. Mm-hmm. But if we go back and look through all oh, his... we'll cr- get there. Okay. All right. <laughs> fine. All right. I guess I've come um, up with an idea so that other people sh- had, the too. the new sheriff was also interviewed about this. Like, do you think this was just, like, bad police work? Or is this racism? Or was this tunnel vision? Can it be all of it? That's exactly what the new sheriff said. Yeah. He said, I think it's a little bit of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he takes this plea deal. He pleads guilty to one felony count of tampering with evidence. And at his sentencing, he said he he pled for leniency. He said, I wasn't trying to purposely leave anything out. I was well, just yes, trying. You were. I was just trying to highlight the important information, what I had at that point. No, you weren't highlighting. You were hiding. Yes. You hid the fact that they did not match the DNA. You intentionally omitted that from your report that you gave to the prosecutors in this case. What'd this fucker get? So um, the judge asked him when he said this. She said, you intentionally left out the DNA results. Why didn't you include that? And he said, you're right, Your Honor, I did not include it. And I take full responsibility for that. And for, and for what it's worth, I apologize for not doing that. But again, I did that because I was simply trying to give the prosecutor a feel on why I thought it was these people. You're playing with people's lives. Yeah. So Kiana Bohr got to speak at the sentencing hearing and she said, I have lost time with my children, time with my family. I have lost friends. I have lost family. I have lost pretty much every single thing that I've ever had because of this man. And I am still trying to get that back. Yeah. This guy ruined her life. Well, you stop and imagine what might have happened if this had gone to trial. I mean, hopefully, hopefully no jury would convict on this little evidence. But you never know. You don't know. We see juries convict on all kinds of evidence. Yeah. So Judge Patricia Cosgrove listened to the listen to Detective O'Connell's statement. Well, he's just he's just Sean O'Connell now. He's no longer a detective. Yeah. And listen, Kiana Bohr. And then she said. I do give him some consideration for his 25 years of service, his military service, uh, his volunteer work, but he has to go to prison. So he had asked 25 years of service. No, no. Blow it out. Yeah. So he had asked for just probation. No jail time. I bet he did. Yeah. And so the judge went on. She said, this has to send a message to other law enforcement officers. Hey, when you look at a case, look at all of it. And when you present a case, present all of it. Today is the day of sentencing. Take him into custody. And Sean O'Connell was sentenced to two years in prison. I don't think it's enough. No. I think that... I think that detectives and police officers need to be held to a higher standard. Absolutely. I completely agree. And even highlighting the... 25 years of service. Uh No, 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 no. Right. To me, that's like... What? Okay, to me, that's akin to printing uh, fucking what's-his-butt's swim times in his... In the article about his arrest, Bryce Turner or whatever. Brock Turner. Turner. Brock Turner. I don't think that... To me, that's not the same. Okay. To me, it's like... 
if you find out that a priest has molested a kid mm-hmm. and at the sentencing you're like, but well, look you at did all devote the- your life to the church for. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, hmm. What else did he well, do? Yeah, in that that's time? exactly what that says to me, because it's like, OK, you have 25 years of service. That means he's been doing this exactly. for 25 years. Yeah, that's not a good thing that right. he's been in this position for a really long mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So I found this article in the Review Times where they talk about other things Sean O'Connell may have been involved with. And there's just like a, just a quick list here that I put together from that article. He's been accused of falsifying evidence after an inmate was killed inside county jail. Oh, God. He was accused of falsifying evidence after a man was killed in his home in York Township. Um, He was accused of bringing false charges against a man during a road rage incident when it turns out the man that he brought the charges against was actually the victim. Oh, in that case. Cool. Yeah. Um, Those were all while he was a detective, when he was a sheriff's detective, when he was a detective with the Fremont Police Department in 1999. Apparently, he ignored some information that he was given about a sheriff's detective who allegedly threw a man into a trash dumpster. And then. Yeah. So he'd fallen asleep, like on the sidewalk outside a bar. Uh And this police detective had like thrown him into a dumpster. Oh, he was crushed to death by (gasps) by a trash compactor the next day. Oh, my God. And so somebody brought this information to Sean O'Connell and he was like, yeah, it's not important. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, that's as far back as 1999. (sighs) So who knows how much shit this guy did and got away with? Right. And how much the people around him were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I don't think you can be this corrupt for that long. Well, no, look, the sheriff got arrested for... Right. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Wait, so did nothing happen with... The guy who was killed? No. Nothing. Apparently nothing ever happened. No one was ever arrested. No charges were ever brought. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. This is a Kristen case. It's very much a Kristen case. I tell you what, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is all kind of wrapped up. Obviously, the investigation is still going on while all of this is going on. I've taken a bit of a departure to focus on this portion of Mm -hmm. the case. But now we've got a new new sheriff in town, and he has put a new detective in charge of this case. And so the new detective is like looking at this investigation, and he's like, this is so fucked up. Like, we've got to go, like, back to the beginning and just, like, completely start this investigation over. And so this new lead detective starts looking it over and he's like, oh, my gosh. Detective O'Connell was so focused on these three suspects and making these three suspects fit this crime that he never even questioned, like, the people Heather worked with. My God, dude. The people she left her shift with that day. Right. They were never even questioned. 
So by this point, two years have oh passed. Oh, my God. Her poor family. Yes. And they're yelling the whole time, like, you're not on the right track. You're not looking at the right people. Yeah. Yeah. And so Sheriff Hilton takes over this investigation. They're like, we're starting this back over. So they they go back to what they know. They know Heather's last known location was at the Whirlpool factory at 6.17 a.m. They had, like, some cell phone records that put her phone in, like, a five-mile radius for, like, an hour after that. But all they had was, like, this five-mile radius, which was, right. like, not enough to narrow down. You can't go knock on every door in a five-mile radius. And so they actually learned that Google stores your GPS location if you're, like, actively updating your email and stuff like that, which your phone usually typically automatically does in the background. Uh-huh. And so they subpoena her Google records for her GPS coordinates, and they find out that there was a place that she had gone, like, 13 minutes after she'd gotten off work. It was a trailer about just, like, a couple miles from... The factory from the Whirlpool factory. Mm -hmm. And it showed that she'd spent about an hour there. Okay. And so police went to that trailer and they learned that it was the home of one of her coworkers, Daniel Myers. He worked the same shift that Heather did. And he had worked with Heather the night she disappeared. But no one had ever even spoken to him. You got to wonder what he was thinking. Okay. So they like knock on his door and he's like, can I help you? And they're like, yeah, you know, Heather Bogle. And he's like, uh, very, very little, very little. Just, uh, I mean, just very, li- very li- little, very limited conversation. And they're like, okay, this guy's definitely minimizing <laughs> here. Like, mm-hmm. um, that seems a bit odd. And so then he's like, he's like, what? Why are you guys still investigating this? This has been like this happened like two years ago, right? And then he's like, "Well, you I mean, should have you know, found me uh, a long time uh, ago." You know, I guess it's a cold case, and so you guys are just probably just grasping at straws, right? Just trying to figure out what's going on, just grasping at straws. What you're saying is he was a real cool character, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "Sure, uh huh." And so the sheriff, who's like part of this investigation team now, he's like, "Oh my god, like this is him. He's been here this whole time." Mm-hmm. This whole time, he's been right under our nose. Like, if they would have just done this investigation properly. Like, the most basic Exactly. Thing. The last people she was with. These should have been the first, like, uh, maybe maybe just next after her family members. Maybe you speak to the family members first. And well, yeah, then, I mean, I think yeah. you definitely go to her ex. Yes. For sure. Yes. Yeah, her brother sent her those yeah. awful text messages. Yes. Sure, talk to him. Sure. And then, yes, the people she worked with. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, never talked to him. He must have been thrilled when he saw those names in the paper. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that he was. So he's being super weird, and they're like, okay, yeah, this guy's definitely up to something. And then they ask him for a DNA sample. And he says... Yeah, I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm super full. Yeah, I just good. I didn't really know the girl or anything like that. Well, that's not the question, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so the sheriff's like, 
Okay, literally the first person in this investigation who has said no to a DNA sample. <laughs> and so they got a, a warrant to search his home and to t- collect his DNA. And so they come back to his place and they tell him, you know, got a warrant to take a sample of your DNA. And he's like, okay. And they're like, and we have a warrant to search your place. And so they go and they search his home. And, like, it's been two years. They don't find a weapon. They don't really find any evidence. What they do find is that a week after Heather was murdered, he bought a new mattress. Oh. And that a couple days after she was murdered, he replaced a bunch of floorboards in his trailer. Oh, gosh. Yeah. While it's not really very solid evidence, it's definitely evidence that something took place inside that trailer. Right. And so he says, okay, when they tell him they're going to take a DNA sample. And that was like literally the last thing he ever said to investigators. He refused to speak to them from then on. Mm-hmm. But uh, that DNA sample they took from him, mm-hmm. it was a match. You should probably disregard that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they believed that Daniel likely, I think he went by Danny. There's this really gross thing where he like donated to this GoFundMe that was set up for Heather's daughter after her oh, death and was like, God, I'll never off. forget you, you know, praying for your sweet daughter. And then he signed it, Danny. How much did he donate? $125. That's a weird amount. I agree. <laughs> All right. So they believe that Daniel probably got Heather to his trailer that day with the promise of smoking marijuana. And then he made a pass at her. She rejected him. And then he did not. He, like, just completely lost it when she Mm -hmm. rejected him. And that he tortured her and beat her for an extended amount of time before killing her. What's this guy's history? We'll get there. Okay. So Daniel Myers was arrested and charged with Heather's murder. After his arrest, 10 women came forward and said that he had raped them. Most of them were co-workers from the Whirlpool (gasps) plant, and they had felt so embarrassed that they had never come forward. They blamed themselves. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. 10 women. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense, though. Yep. One woman because this said, was so vicious. Yeah. Yes. One woman said that when she said no to his sexual advances, he became violent and that he grabbed her by the hair and slammed her against the wall, slammed her onto the ground. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Okay. One article I read said that this actually went to trial and that after the first couple days of trial, Daniel decided to take a plea deal. I couldn't find anything more specific about that, but mm-hmm. he did ultimately take a plea deal. I think that's very likely that the trial started and then yeah. he was like, oh, shit, this is really not going my way and this could end in the death penalty. Right. So he ended up pleading guilty to avoid the death penalty. In court, the prosecutors kind of explained how they thought it happened. They think that it happened immediately after Heather entered his trailer. They believe that he came on to her sexually and that she rejected him. And then he grabbed her. She fought back. He had a broken tooth. He had mm-hmm. actually told somebody else that, that like he had had to have a tooth repaired at some point. So they believe he she punched him, broke his tooth, and then he just physically overpowered her, beat her into submission, handcuffed her, stripped her down. My God. Yeah. 
and tortured her for a long time before he ultimately shot and killed her. That's terrifying. I can't believe 10 other women came forward. 10 other women. It makes you wonder what the real number is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it does. So the prosecutor said two of the things that he did make them wonder if he's a serial killer. Um, Yeah, he's probably a serial killer. He cut her fingernails down to the nubs. Yeah. In an attempt to destroy DNA evidence. They believe that the cutting of her hair was done for the same reason. Maybe he got some of his blood in her hair Mm -hmm. through her fighting back. Those, you know, she had defensive wounds all over her. She likely, you know, scratched him, scraped him. Right. And likely got blood into her hair. And that's the reason Mm. that he cut all of her hair off. Wow. At his sentencing, Carmela Badillo, Heather's former girlfriend, gave a victim impact statement. She said, I want you to know that you took away a mother and a friend and a loved one that no one could ever give back. And I want you to know, Daniel Myers, I do not forgive you. No one in this room can say that they forgive the devil. I hope you burn in hell, you piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole plus 20 years. Daniel later told an inmate that he killed Heather because she laughed at him when he came on to her. Wow. Yeah. He said that she had told him that day that she had failed her exam and that he'd invited her over to console her. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. And then was offended when she rejected him. Yeah. He saw her as so vulnerable in that moment. And she thought, oh, I have a friend from work who's trying to be nice to me. Right. Right. And, you know, maybe she, you know. Yeah. Maybe I get to smoke a little pot. Right. Yeah. I mean, my God. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the question is, has Daniel done this before? And there's the family of at least one woman who believes he has. So oh my gosh. six years before Heather's murder, another Whirlpool employee, 38-year-old Fuck. Leanne Sluter, uh, who was Daniel's girlfriend at the time and is the mother of Daniel's son, was found dead in her Clyde, Ohio oh. home. She was found. Oh, this is eerie. I didn't even realize this until now. She was found dead on March 1st, 2009, which today is oh. March 1st. Yep. Her death was ruled suicide by gunshot. But it. Okay, it was like a rifle and she was shot in the chest. No. And the rifle was found next to her body, not on her body. Mm. And her family said she hated guns. They begged the police to do a further yeah. investigation. At the time, they said, this doesn't make sense. She wouldn't have died by suicide. We don't mm-hmm. believe this. And the authorities did some kind of investigation and determined that it was suicide. Ugh. So they actually did look back into this after Daniel was convicted of Heather's murder. 
but the original investigation was done so poorly that all they have is oh, like a great. few. Yeah, all they have is like a few crime scene photos, and it's not enough for them to mm-hmm. say definitively like what could have happened. So they did try and reenact basically this. It was a twenty-two caliber rifle. It was a single gunshot to her chest. So her family's like, "How is that even physically possible?" And so they did something and said like. While it's not likely, it is technically possible. And so with the evidence that they have, they couldn't, right, they couldn't, they couldn't change the ruling. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, I totally forgot to mention when Daniel was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, he was given the opportunity to make a statement as oh well. Oh, my God. And he said, I have nothing to say. Okay. And that's the story of some really stellar police work. That's horrifying. Yeah. Oh, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. That fucking detective. Yeah. He's still on both. He's interviewed on the 48 Hours episode and the Dateline episode. And he, like, stands by his fucking police work. <laughs> He's out of prison now. He served almost his whole term. He got some credit for time served for like 15 days that he was in jail awaiting sentencing. And then Mm -hmm. he did some program while he was in prison and got some time off for that. Yeah. I hope it was like an ethics class. (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it, but (laughs) that's my hope. Hmm. Yeah. Kiana Bohr says that, like, people to this day are like, oh, that's the girl that was accused of murdering that woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, stuff can well, stick like, to you. Well, exactly. It's not like there was some public apology that was put up on fucking billboards around town. Well, and even if there is, it's amazing what what we all remember from mm-hmm. things versus what oh, the absolutely. facts are. And sometimes it's just like, I remember so-and-so's name yeah. connected with this event. Yeah, absolutely. And she says she's never received an apology for for what they did to her. Wow. Yeah. Well, because she was the real murderer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because uh, that pot deal went bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That was upsetting. Yeah. And see, so that guy, I mean, he spent, what was it, two years? Just Yeah. Wonder what else he did. Well, yeah, exactly. He could have could have murdered multiple people. He could have uh, raped a bunch of women in that two years. I mean, he probably did. What's the HR situation at World? I What's don't going know. On? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Is that not a Kristen case and a Brandy case with a little baby? Yeah, that was. Oh man, that was infuriating, but so good. Yeah. Oh. I do not think that the detective got enough time, but it is refreshing to see him get some time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think in so many cases, they're just like, well, you're no longer a police officer. And then, like, that's it. No criminal charges are brought. Yeah. But even then. mm. (laughs) What are you going to say, Kristen? (laughs) I don't know. I... And Graydon, I don't know about this police force, but kind of what my fear is, is when somebody 
does get charged and serve time, it's kind of like he's maybe the one we've caught doing Mm -hmm. something. And so he's going to be held accountable and nobody look at the rest of us. You know, you just wonder about what the what the situation is. Yeah, absolutely. So. Definitely. (laughs) Thinking about our KCK police force. (laughs) Absolutely. What's that uh, detective's name? Detective Golubsky? Golubsky. Yeah, that's. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead and give him a Google, uh. won't you, folks? <laughs> you want to be horrified? horrified? <laughs> 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 uh. Well, you know, in later days, Brandy, what's going to go right here is an ad. Oh, that's right. You want to make a noise? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and we're back from the ad. Huh? <laughs> I'm testing out new ad noises. That's a sexy noise you're making. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, Brandy. Quit being all turned on by me. Did you cut your stringies? My stringies? Yeah, on your shirt. Did you cut them? Yes, I literally said to you. You told me you were going to, and then you went to get scissors, and I never heard an update. Well, what kind of update did you expect I cut them. How do they look now? Is this the right length? Well, I mean, it's too late after I've cut them. Where are they at? I can't see. Oh, that's much much better. Everyone, I got this top. That's like it's like a peasant yeah. blouse. Yeah, it's like a very f- f- flouncy. Flouncy. Flouncy's the um, word, yes. And it had these long-ass strings. Yeah. They they were so long that I discovered when I was sitting down that I could have tied them between my legs and worn them as a thong. Yes. <laughs> and the real concerning part was when you got out in the toilet, though, and they almost went in the water, and that was when you'd had enough. I have to tell you something. What? When I cut... The string. It was wet. One of them was wet. <laughs> Did now, it go in the toilet? Did I'm not in the saying. Sink? I mean, Who knows? We're praying like hell it went into the sink. <laughs> but I was horrified. <laughs> Woo, all right. Are you ready to hear about Monopoly? Yes, I am. First of all, what do you know about the origins of Monopoly? I don't know. It is my, maybe my least favorite game. It well, takes yeah, it for sucks. fucking ever. And nobody plays it the right way. What do you mean the right nobody way? Nobody follows the rules. Do you want to follow No, because if you do, it takes 12 days to play. Okay, so how is that a complaint that you hate it, it takes too long, but also no one follows the rules? Which because would that make goes it against even... everything oh I believe in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am a rule follower, Kristen. You know this about me. I do know that about you. It's just funny that like you're critiquing from both sides that's of right. that. <laughs> all right. Hmm. And that's all you know about Monopoly? I think eh? so. I don't know. Oh, wow. There's probably more trivia you, about it stored up here somewhere. You have lost a lot of energy, my friend. No! Just, just hearing okay, that, that you're gonna case hear... was rough that I did. Yeah. It really took some stuff out of me yeah. this week. This I one... I feel relieved to have it done. I'm, I'm sure. No, it was it was very well, well done, well <laughs> told. You. This one, considerably lighter. Oh, thank God. Although you said that last week and you gave us the worst case you've ever covered. You know what? We need to talk about that. Okay, yeah, we so do need to. Let's talk about Kevin. <laughs> last week I covered um, like a terrible school, LGBT school bullying case. Yes. And I said it was lighter because there's justice at the end and because no one dies. Correct. And, but, and lighter was the wrong word 
to describe that case. Well, and you know, we talked about this. We talked about this at lunch. Like when I was researching it, I was really affected by it. But I thought maybe it was just me. No, because I was like, well, this is not a murder, right? So. Maybe I just personally am having a hard time with it. No, the reviews are in. Everyone had a tough time with that. Sorry, yeah, everybody. It was a really rough case. This one, I, when I say it's lighter, it is actually lighter this time. Actually, <laughs> there are some. Well, you know, I'm never saying anything again. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Wait, is this a Monopoly murder? <laughs> Yeah, someone wanted to play Monopoly, and the only way to get out of it was, was to murder them. <laughs> and who can blame them? The jury let them off. Yeah, not me. Free. I can't blame them. <laughs> All right. Shout out to the High Priestess of Costco for suggesting this case in the Discord. Ooh, wonderful. This basically all comes from an episode of American Experience. Oh, I don't PBS. even know what that is. Oh, it's because you have no class. Okay. It's a PBS program, you say? Yeah. It's a PBS program Are you about a PBS Monopoly. supporter? I am. Okay. It doesn't surprise me one bit. (laughs) (laughs) How did that feel like an insult? What what are you trying to say, ma'am? Do you have a PBS tote bag that you got in return for your donation Um, to the pub? (laughs) I have an NPR mug. Of course you do. (laughs) Again, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. Hmm. She does know. <laughs> She's got things. She's She could describe me quite well. Anyway, I'm sorry I'm so cool, Brandy. You are. You're too cool for school. <sighs> All right. So it comes from an episode of American Experience, which Brandy, like the name Ira, has never heard of before. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the name of that particular episode because... It gives it all away. Well, it... I asked if you knew much about the history of Monopoly for a reason. Oh, Brandy, are you just going to tell me the history of Monopoly? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I fucking signed up for this. <laughs> okay, I've got to admit something now. This episode was only fifty minutes long. Okay. I do think the story itself is interesting. Uh-huh. This episode, it's I don't know I don't know what it was, but it didn't really grab me the whole time. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, it grabbed me and let me go, grabbed me and let me go, and so this one was a little tough. And now to hear you be like, "Oh my god, oh god, I can hear the whole fucking history of it." I can't wait. I, what did I say? Do I have to? I mean, do I get to? That's right, baby. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Brandy, I have for you today a very inspiring story. Picture it. Twas the Great Depression, and a man named Charles Darrow was struggling to get by. Charles had been a radiator repairman, and I'm saying it that way because we all know that only men can repair radiators. (laughs) But thanks to the Great Depression, Charles was unemployed, and he and his wife, Esther, were in a panic. They had two children, and one of them, I wasn't able to figure out much more about this, but Uh one of the children had special needs and therefore needed to go to this special school, but they couldn't afford it. So... 
they were getting to the point that they could hardly afford much of anything. And it's not like they could lean on anyone for help. Everyone they knew was struggling. Yeah. Again, it was the Great, Great Depression. Depression. Though they said it sucked. <laughs> I've made that joke before, but uh, it's so good it had to be <laughs> had said to again. Do it again. <laughs> Charles hated to see his friends and family so depressed. So, since he had, you know, a bunch of free time on his hands, he made up a little game. It was sort of a real estate board game. Oh, is that what you called it? No. Monopoly sounds so much better. <laughs> He called it sort you of a You guys want to play real estate board game? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if if I came to you and was like, will you play real estate board game with me or Monopoly? You'd, you'd go for real estate board game because you're, you're like, that's the one I don't know. Yeah, it could be true. better. Yeah, it could be better than Monopoly. Anyway, the point is, Brandy, this game was a fucking blast. <laughs> <laughs> the objective of the game was to buy up properties and charge other players for rent and put houses and hotels on your properties, get yourself a monopoly, and drive all your friends into bankruptcy. What a good time! Charles called the game Monopoly. Oh, not real estate board game. Okay. Mm -mm. His friends and family loved it. Did they really? I know they were lying to him. Were they him. just being nice <laughs> because he was so depressed and out of work? I would argue twas the latter. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, Charles was excited because everyone said they liked it. And he wondered if maybe he could sell it. So he started making boards and writing up the rules. And he went to a bunch of game manufacturers. And he was like, hey, do you want to you know, sell this game? And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to play that. That's exactly what they said. Yeah. <laughs> okay, for real? It's so funny, your critique. So they were like, first of all, it takes way too long. Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. The other thing they were like is, they said is like, we're in this economic depression. No one's going to want to play a game where, like, it's all about money yeah. and blah. Yeah, read the sucks. room, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Charles was devastated. It was the first time anyone used the term dude. <laughs> <laughs> Would you prefer it if the story stopped there? <laughs> and that is the history of the word dude. <laughs> Charles didn't give up. He went to Parker Brothers, which was like the cream of the crop board game manufacturer. Ooh. He pitched them his idea and they said, yeah, why not? Charles signed all the appropriate paperwork and in December of 1935, they got a patent. They began selling the game and holy shit, it was a massive hit. Yeah. How? Why? I don't know. I mean, today it's still like the first game people mention. Like when you... I know. I, How? Does anybody actually like Monopoly? Reach out. Yeah, if that's like your favorite game, please tell, like, reach out to no, us and no, tell us why. No, not your favorite. If you even enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no one's going to say it's their favorite game. Somebody might. No. Brandy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> favorite game? That's someone who's never played any other game. <laughs> That's what they're going to say. Yes, Monopoly is my favorite game. But to be fair, I've never played any other game. Also, I don't own a TV, and I'm not sure how I got a hold of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, people loved Monopoly, apparently. 
We used to play Monopoly all the time when I was a kid. Why? What? Yes. Like the whole family. Tell me everything. Mm-hmm. Whose idea was so this? We, uh, it, it's funny because like we love to play games. Steve was not a big game player though. And like Monopoly was the one game we could get him to play. But we did have to play the short version, which was not that fucking short. Where you just get passed <laughs> out properties at the beginning. Oh, okay. And then it would still like finally at like midnight, everybody's falling asleep at the table and you're like, that's it. We're calling it. I'm on to Steve. I'm on just to get us to not play games. (laughs) No, it was like, okay. so the truth is Uh he doesn't like playing any game. (laughs) Okay, But, you know, he he, you're pestering him, whatever. He's Uh like, okay, okay. My one game, my favorite game is Monopoly. Because he thinks no one's going to take him up on it. Exactly. We'll be like, no, we'll play literally fucking any other game. Right. And he's like, you know, he plays it with you all a couple times. He's like, (laughs) all right, I just have to do this a couple times and I never have to play another game for the rest of my life. Okay, And that's what happened, huh? Probably, yeah. What do you mean probably? You're part of the family still, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, Steve, I'm on to you. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, decades pass. As you said, it is still, I, I mean, I hate to even say, it is popular. It is. There's like 80 million variations of it, too. Do you think they're all like being bought up by Russian bots or something? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But then the 1970s rolled around. And Brandy, I'm sure I don't have to tell you about the 1973 oil crisis. Oh, yeah, I do know about that. Tell us about it, That's Brandy. That's all I know. Gas prices. Woo! Mm-hmm. People, you could only get gas on a certain day if your last name started with whatever. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as we all know, that was when the Organization of Arab Petroleum Exporting Countries... OPEC, OPEC. Yeah. <laughs> was like, uh-uh-uh, this is an oil embargo. Mm-hmm. They said it kind of sexy, too. And yada, 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 Americans were screwed diddly Gas prices shot up. It was all because of... Monopoly. Yeah. Yeah. Not the board game, like the real a thing. A monopoly. A an monopoly. actual monopoly. <gasps> you know what monopoly you should cover? What? It's just like, this is much more you than it is me. Fucking Ticketmaster. Oh, no thanks. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what's the story there? I mean, they're a monopoly and should not be allowed to be, and there's lots of lawsuits against them. Okay, but is it interesting? Probably not. Exactly. You could sing some Pearl Jam. I've got news for you. I can sing Pearl Jam whenever I want. (laughs) Sing a Pearl Jam song right now. What is one? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure I know one. Come on. You're thinking. Jeremy Spoken Class Today. What? That's excellent, Eddie Vedder. You're going to have to keep going. (laughs) That's Jeremy Spoken Class Today? Yeah, it's about a school shooting. Great. (laughs) Boy. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so there was a monopoly. Okay. And a lot of people were pissed off about that. Is this not about the game at all? Do you think I'm going to circle back? Okay. <laughs> now I'm worried you're going to talk about gas prices. <laughs> First, I was terrified that you were going to tell me the history of monopoly. And now I'm worried you're just going to talk about gas prices. What would be worse? I'm not really sure. 
<laughs> you think you're at a new low, Naughty Dan. Drop even further. <laughs> so yeah, this guy named Ralph Onspock was no exception. He was super pissed off about this monopoly. And he was an economics professor at San Francisco State University. He just despised monopolies. Are you going to be okay? I'm you- fine, yes. <laughs> this has nothing to do with monopoly, by the way. <laughs> monopolies created these tremendous power imbalances. They screwed over everyday people. But for some reason, the majority of Americans didn't seem to understand how bad monopolies really were. So... The way Ralph tells it, one day during the oil crisis, which you described so brilliantly. That's right. If your name started with an A through D, you can only get gas on Mondays. (laughs) And they were told it that way, like, I'm sorry. (laughs) So he was driving home from work. It normally took him an hour. This time it took him four hours. Why? I don't know. I don't really understand how that relates to the oil crisis. All the B-roll was just like a lot of Datsuns all crammed on the road. Okay. You think they ran out of gas on the road and then they couldn't move their cars anymore? Anyway, bottom line, it was bad. Okay. okay? Things were terrible. (laughs) Just constant gridlock. (laughs) So by the time he got home, Ralph was pissed off. He said he came home and was, quote, X-rated cussing out the oil monopolists. X-rated? Yeah, is that when you just, like, say body parts? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And in the middle of his rant, his eight-year-old son, William, told him, Dad, you're a really poor loser. What? Ralph was a little stunned. He was like, why would you say that? Because you said you hate Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, William was basically like, you know, yesterday we played Monopoly, I won. And so he was taking this as Uh like, you know, that's a good thing. And here you are talking badly about, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To his child, a Monopoly was a good thing. Having a Monopoly was a good thing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to bring some drama to this situation because I can tell there's not enough for you right now. So Ralph's like, okay, this is no good. I need to find a game that's like the anti-monopoly. But Ralph couldn't find a game like that. So he he had to invent it. Very good, Brandy. He called it anti-monopoly. I think it was going to be like a backwards (laughs) monopoly. No, just anti-monopoly. I can't do it without seeing it. terrible. (laughs) Come, Come get my game. Yolopinome. Hold on, I gotta take it out so that I can see it. Yolopinome. Hmm. Mm. Nothing I love more than a good game. (laughs) (laughs) Steve's like, I hate games, but I will play (laughs) Yolopinome. In Anti Monopoly, you play as a federal caseworker. Boom! Slamming down indictments on those big bad monopolies. Really? <laughs> Your mission? To give those mom and pop shops a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of anti-monopoly, so I'm guessing it doesn't really take off. Oh, 
How about you sit for this very long story? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, it's rebranded as something other than anti monopoly. And this is how we get shoots and ladders. <laughs> <laughs> In Ralph's game, monopolies are exposed for what they truly are shitty. And in Ralph's game, there's no jail. There's a court, which means that there is a corner of the board that says, go to court, in all caps. Let's. Yes, let's. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1973, Ralph created this game and started making copies of it and selling it. And it sold fairly well, which is contrary to what you thought would happen. Yeah, you I fucking hate it. I don't think it was ever mass produced. Oh, really? Is that what you think? I'm guessing. How about you listen to I've the story? I've played a lot of fucking games in my life. Never even heard of Anti-Monopoly. I Maybe have... that's because you're busy playing games with my heart when <laughs> we should be playing Anti-Monopoly. games with my heart. It's my heart. We haven't sung enough songs on this episode. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say disagree. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> You didn't like my Eddie Vedder impression earlier. Well, I wanted more, and you were you were just like, no. I mean, it's hard to think of another song when you've got one. All I can think of is that one line from, um, oh, they sang um, uh, Last Kiss. You know that one? Sing some of it. Well, I can't think of it right now, Kristen. Hmm. Hmm. I could name you fucking ten, uh, ten Pearl Jam songs. They have an album called Ten. So oh, okay. That's why it was funny. I did. Yeah, I'm sure there are Hilarious. a lot of people Lots laughing. of Pearl Jam fans really laughing. Pretty Kidding hard. It. Yep. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, back to this game that was quite popular, despite what yeah. you're saying. Um, it was this little indie game, and the folks in San Francisco loved it. Some even called it the San Francisco treat. Mm. <laughs> Ralph's wife, Ruth, stepped in, <laughs> very sorry, to run the business. And pretty soon they began selling anti-monopoly all over the country. So why oh, don't you suck they? on that? Okay. They sold like 500,000 copies. I bet mm. there's people who listen to this podcast that don't know what rice is and aren't going to get that joke. And I bet there are going to be people who do get it and still don't laugh because <laughs> it wasn't that good. <laughs> I don't think they like use that slogan anymore. I've never. I can't even tell you the last time I saw a rice aroni commercial. Rice aroni commercials were all over the place when we were kids. I know. I loved them. Yeah, they were in those trolleys, looking so yes! happy. Yes. They never ate the rice in the trolleys. Well, no. I mean, they're not that. You take the trolley back home, and then you cook up the rice aroni. Mm-hmm. It's not. An and on, you're smiling the whole time yeah, on, the on the trolley. You the can't go wait. Snack. <laughs> Unless they do like a gogurt situation. No. <laughs> With the packaging. rice <laughs> Oh, my God! Everyone. It's selling itself right now! rice that's our gift to you. A free idea. And thank you for all those wonderful commercials you made in the 90s. So, you know, 
it sold like 500,000 copies. They were so proud, so happy. Ralph was getting his message out there, and he was doing it in like a fun, engaging way. Yeah, but also he ripped off Monopoly, so they're going to sue Ripped off? It's in the fucking name. Whose side are you on? Uh, probably Monopoly's side. <laughs> God. You corporate shill. <laughs> One day, you'll be pleased to know. Ralph got a big board game. <laughs> big board game big came board game. Not yeah. <laughs> Got a whiff of what was cooking in San Francisco. They threw dice through his window. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph got a terrifying letter in the mail. Was it a cease and desist? It sure was. Yours, uh, poor Ralph's just shaking in his boots and you're thrilled. Sorry, I'm sorry, Ralph. It was from the legal team at General Mills, which by this point owned Parker Brothers. Don't oh, make that face. I was like, what yeah. do you fucking care? Yeah, see, you, you corporate thingy. You don't even. <laughs> Stooge was the word you were looking for. <laughs> Act like corporate thingy. <laughs> they demanded that Ralph take anti-monopoly off the market and destroy any remaining copies oh, of it. Oh, shit. They said he was infringing upon their right to sell Monopoly. Customers were probably super confused. Well, I mean, you used the name right on the bo- Yeah, I'm not making a drink called anti-Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Because you know who's going to come be pissed at me about that? Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> but mm, Coca-Cola is not a generic term. Ooh, all right. Oh, oh okay. okay. I, so he's going to say that he was just using it in the general term Monopoly. Not it wasn't it didn't have anything to do with the Monopoly board game, even though it does have a whole court section in the corner and Monopoly has a jail section. So you could draw a correlation. I could see how this argument's gonna go in court. Why don't you continue? Oh, can you see it all? <laughs> hmm? Can you? I don't think you can. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they also asked Ralph to take an ad in the newspaper saying that he was sorry for what he did to them. <laughs> The letter did scare Ralph. Yeah. But more than anything, it pissed him off. Because here's the thing about Ralph. Ralph fucking hates bullies. Oh. Yeah, so earlier I was like, it's a super light case, and then I remembered this part. Okay. Okay. Ralph was born in Germany in 1926, and uh-huh. he's Jewish. Oh, fuck. He remembers when the Nazis came to power. He remembers when a racist professor came to his German elementary school. And he remembers that the professor had this tool that he used to measure all the children's skulls. Oh, my gosh. So this dude examined each of the children. And at the conclusion of the examination, he declared that Ralph was the perfect Aryan. Oh. And all the kids laughed. Because he's Jewish. Yeah, because they knew he was Jewish. Yeah. So then the racist professor gets a little embarrassed. And yeah. we oh, feel for him, no. don't we? <laughs> <laughs> so then he's like, you know, all embarrassed because these elementary school kids are laughing at him because he's so fucking stupid. Yeah. 
And he's like, well, you know, the thing is, like, a Jewish person like this is particularly dangerous because, you know, he's got blue eyes and stuff. Oh, my gosh. Not long afterward, Jewish children were expelled from schools and, you know, things obviously started getting scarier and scarier. I'm going to go into the entire war. Please don't. I can't handle it. So in 1938, when Ralph was only 12 years old, his dad got an American visa, and they all moved to New York City. Oh, my gosh. Like, in the nick of time. Yeah. Holy shit. His grandparents stayed in Berlin. Um, And that's interesting to me. I I couldn't tell if – they chose to stay. I mean, more than right. more than likely, surely they couldn't. Probably just but, too old to travel, maybe. Well, and one of the things that his grandpa said was, "No, I'm I'm Austrian. I'm going to be okay." Yeah. So Ralph and his immediate family moved to America. The grandparents stayed and ran their antique store. And one day, this super prominent Nazi named Hermann Göring. Well, came into the antique store and made an offer on a painting, and Ralph's grandfather refused the offer. So the Nazi left. The next day, Nazis came back and took Ralph's grandfather to a death camp. Amazing. Holy shit. Ralph's grandmother lived a little longer, but then one day in 1942, she got word that she was going to be resettled. Oh, no. And she's like, mm-mm, I know what that means. Yeah. So she died by suicide. Oh, my gosh. So as soon as he was able to, Ralph enlisted in the U.S. Army. How fucking dare you? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. Here's <laughs> – I know. I know. There's a reason I bring this up. Well, yes, I'm sure it's pertinent. Yes. Well, I mean, it was kind of like they did like a couple lines in. But no, it shows why he wouldn't back down. Exactly. Yes. yes. No, I completely because understand. Because I watched yes. this episode and, you know, again, I appreciate it. It had a lot of great yeah. information. But by the end of it, I was like, I really don't get this guy. Yeah. I really don't. But then you look more into his history mm-hmm. and you're like, OK. Yeah. No, this this guy does not. Yeah. Does not get pushed around. He's yeah. going to stand up. So, yeah, as soon as he. And yes, I am sorry for saying this was a super light case <laughs> when I just told that horrible story. Jesus. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know what light is. Obviously not. <laughs> I might not even know what love is. <laughs> So, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Oh, my goodness. The singing is fabulous. <laughs> you know, we don't... Never mind. I don't want to say that what? out loud. What? We don't actually get complaints about the singing. So. <laughs> oh, that's coming. <laughs> Brandy, I've got news for you. When people complain about the tangents... Uh, you think the songs are included in that? I am afraid so. <laughs> Regret to tell you. I think there are also going to be people who don't appreciate our rice goni bit. No, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> See, here's what I think you should do. You team up with the Nerds Rope people. See if they've got a couple extra sleeves and just, you just know. Just throw it on in there. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Well, now we're just doing thinking, your job okay, for you, rice Let me tell you how I, w- I was kind of picturing more of like a push-pop situation. <laughs> oh, no, that's messy. 
No. Yes. No, you it, don't you remember the Fred Flintstone I absolutely sherbet? remember. It's, like, it's no, too you, thick. No. Yes, no, it's too you thick. Get a nice hearty bite of rice aroni. But if you've got like more of a tubey situation. Not, no, you, if you're you're talking about a nerd's rope tubey. Yes. You, that's not enough to even make it worth it. Worth it. That's not enough rice aroni for me. That's like a a, a sampling of rice aroni. Well, not pick up a couple of them. No. Then. <laughs> How much rice do you need? More than a nerd rope's worth. All right. Wow. (laughs) Didn't know you. I want a push pop amount. That rice is going to get everywhere. No, it's not. Yes, it will. Push up how much you want. You put. Not everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Brandy's demonstrating why. Why now this is suddenly not a public food. You'll be getting a lot of unwelcome advances <laughs> from people who are quite taken by your rice aroni eating skills. No, but I am right. It would be a mess because, you know, what, are you going to wrap your whole mouth around that thing? No. You're going to want to take some fairly dainty bites because you're eating it on a trolley. <laughs> I forgot about the trolley. <laughs> Uh, anyway. (laughs) So, Ralph had gone to the University of Chicago. I think he got his PhD at Berkeley. He became Mm -hmm. a professor, had this very clear sense of right and wrong, and an aversion to situations where people in power picked on the little guy. Although Brandy has already established that she is on the side of big board game. No, I mean, I get your argument about he's just using it in the term of the word, but how close is his board to... To monopolies, I'd like to hear that. I'm sure we will in the court proceedings that are to come. It depends on where they are on the table. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh my! <laughs> oh, stupid for the way you laughed at me. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so Ralph felt pretty strongly that he was not infringing on the Monopoly copyright. Mm -hmm. So Ralph made it. Man, what's happening over there? Your whole phone is like flashing. Listen, things are happening. I'm very popular. You're getting phone calls. I am getting phone calls, but it's like from the wax center being like, hello. Could you confirm your appointment? We want you. We want you to come rip your. We like to rip your hair out, please. Yeah, these freaks just want my pubes (laughs) so bad. These freaks. They won't leave me alone about it. (laughs) Rumor has it you got a full bush. (laughs) We know you've got a lot of options when it comes to waxing. (laughs) We hope you'll go with us. That's what they say. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. Okay. Desperate, but I like to feel wanted, you know. Yeah, I get it. It makes me feel sexy. <laughs> so, Ralph made a very bold move. Is everything okay with I'm your just, hair? My hair's slightly too tight. I'm just trying to loosen it a mm-hmm. smidge. This is why I can't wear headbands, but I want headbands so bad. Yeah, do they hurt you right here? And in my heart, yeah, because I can't wear them. <laughs> every couple years, I go out and yeah, buy some headbands. Same, same, I do the same and thing. Every and every time. You know what else I can't wear? Hmm. The fucking ones that go all the way around, because I don't have the proper bone structure back here to keep those fuckers on my what, head. What, are you all smooth on the back yeah. of your head? <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a Ken doll on the back of my head. 
my god! <laughs> Wait, you're saying there's like nothing to grip onto? Yeah, I don't there? have my occipital bone doesn't protrude that much, so yeah, it doesn't. There should just like slides right off. Wow, devastating. That's right. That's the plight that I deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> it's true. You never really know what someone's Sm- going through. That's right. Brandy Smooth Skull over here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the kids would bully you. That's right. Brandy Smooth Skull. Hey, Brandy, try putting on this claw headband. <laughs> oh, wait, you can't. <laughs> oh, and she would cry. No, probably not. <laughs> so Ralph made a very bold move. Oh. What? What? Did he sue Monopoly? He sure did. What? That is a bold move. Yeah. He he sued them in federal court before they could get a chance to sue him. <laughs> or did he? That's So that's what the American Experience episode said. Um, but Mary Pylon, who wrote a book about this, said that Parker Brothers sued him first. You know, either yeah, way. Either way. They're sued. Okay. So we've covered a few copyright slash patent infringement cases before. And, you know, the legal strategy is always kind of the same. You go after the validity of the patent. Yeah. So that's what Ralph and his legal team did, even though at this point the story of how Monopoly came to be had been widely accepted as fact. In fact, you ate it up yourself at the beginning of this very story like it was rice agoni. Did you make that up? I didn't make it up. Somebody made it up? Parker Brothers made it up <laughs> as a way to sell more games. Hmm. I don't know. No, Should we've we... just been being we've just been gaslit this whole time into thinking somebody likes Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the part. That's yeah, no, they're like, check out this game. Everybody's loving it, and so people start buying it, and they're like, I don't know. I think it sucks, but I'm told everybody loves it. <laughs> I love that that is the part that you think is made up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the facts were that, you know, Charles Darrow had been down on his luck. He created Monopoly, sold it to Parker Brothers, and it was a huge hit. Please don't look into this any further. What's the truth? Well, the first thing Ralph discovered was that Monopoly was actually invented decades earlier by a woman named Lizzie McGee. Oh. Lizzie McGee was super unique. She was born in 1866 in Maycomb, Illinois, and her dad was one of the founders of the Republican Party. He was a partial owner of a newspaper, very opposed to slavery. He hung out with Abraham Lincoln. Ever oh heard of him? Oh, gosh. Did they have matching hats? I don't know about that, actually. But I do know that he accompanied Mr. Lincoln on the Stephen Douglas debates. Oh. He also had a very serious set of eyebrows. And Lizzie inherited that set of eyebrows, and they looked great on her. How bushy were they? I mean, they were bushy. Uh So, like, by today's standards, would they be, like, good eyebrows? Yes. Yeah. I mean, come on. Now, the 90s, she would have had some problems. Yeah. But today, yeah. mm. Lizzie was very creative. What do you think about eyebrow lamination? Oh, when it looks like you've glued them? Yeah. yeah very I'd... popular right now. Yeah. Um, what's popular is not always right, Brandy. <laughs> I read that somewhere. I think it looks weird. 
What do you think? think? It's for me. Yeah, I don't think it's for me. I wish you'd get more judgy with it. <laughs> no, I think it's one of those things that I, I, I don't know. I look at it and I go, something's wrong with your eyebrows. Oh, wait, you paid for that. Yeah. 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 You can see that. All right. That's my opinion on it. Okay. Now, everyone who's got laminated eyebrows is going to be pissed. I don't think so. But they're probably also really hot and young. So calm down. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Lizzie was deeply concerned about social justice issues. She was a poet, an actress, an anti-capitalist. She was a feminist. She was super funny. And um, here's a... How funny was she? Well, I mean, I could get into some of her stuff. I don't know that it's really going to land that great. Um, For example, are you ready for a not at all cringy story? Yeah. From like 1906? Yeah. Okay, well, she put an ad in the paper announcing that she wanted to sell herself to the highest bidder because she was an American slave. She advertised herself as, quote, not beautiful, but very attractive. What what you thinking, Brandy? I don't like it. So this was meant to be a scathing critique about how hard it was to survive financially as an unmarried woman in America. Oh. And I just want to say, I don't understand why people get so mad about white feminists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come on. (laughs) You think about 1906. Yeah. There are still people around who were born into sl- like yeah. actual slavery. Yeah. There are people reading this paper who are like, yeah, my parents were born into that. Yeah. But yeah, cool comparison. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think that's very funny. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe funny is not what she was going She's for. She's doing like a, a, a social commentary. But even then, it's like, no, dude. No, you missed the mark. We, yeah. We had slavery in this country. It was a real thing. And that's – life sucks yeah. for you probably, but it's that's not it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there are a lot of good things about her, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, also – a lot of dudes didn't really get that she was doing, like, this social commentary thing. So they did make bids on her. Uh-huh. No That's one won. Not the least bit surprising. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, around this time in the 1900s, twas the Gilded Age, yeah. Brandy. Yeah. And uh, stop me if this sounds a little too familiar, but America had a real problem with income inequality. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lizzie hated that. So she got really into the teachings of this guy named Henry George. You big fan? Never heard of him. Oh, well. Read a book, Brandy. (laughs) He was this very famous economist, uh, very gifted writer. One of these folks who's just like super popular in their day and then, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Henry George. I don't know her. I don't know her either. He believed that everyone should be able to own, you know, whatever they created, but that anything that was found in nature, like land, for example, should belong to all of us. Yeah. In 1879, he wrote the book Progress and Poverty, and it sold three million copies. Oh, shit. Right? In 1879? Yeah. 
Well, people didn't have TV. That's true. They didn't have Monopoly to play yet. <laughs> You're right. What were they going to do besides read Progress and Property? Progress and Property. Poverty. Sorry. Poverty. <laughs> <laughs> Henry was very vocally opposed to monopolies, and he wanted all the landlords to go fist themselves or pay much higher taxes, whichever was easiest. Okay. This is the second time I've... Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So he was a big proponent of a single tax on land. Are you familiar with single tax? No. Great. Great. Now we this have is an even economy worse. lesson on this fucking episode. And it's an economy lesson from me of all people. <laughs> so the idea was that you would tax land at a really high rate and not tax anything else. Oh, okay. I'm so glad you don't have questions. All right. <laughs> the point is I get it and so did Lizzie. Yeah. But Lizzie wanted more people to get it. She wanted this message to continue to spread. And she figured, what better way to get the point across about the evils of monopolies and the benefits of the single tax system than built than creating a board game? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, that's kind of cool. Also, th- yeah, it's this really board, cool. This board game is terrible. So yeah, we should not be doing this in real life. <laughs> <laughs> In 1904, Lizzie got a patent for the Landlord's Game. Oh. Essentially Monopoly. Yeah. Looked like it, smelled like it. Yeah. Tasted like it. <laughs> when stop licking it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. That boot's so good. Oh, God. <laughs> when she got that patent, Lizzie was in her 30s. Less than 1% of patent applicants at the time were women. What piece were you when you played Monopoly? Oh, God. I kind of like the thimble, but I mean, yeah, I thimble sometimes. I liked that car. Yeah, it was usually the race car. That was my go-to piece because you were trying to race through the game, That's but it right. never Get this worked. Fucking thing over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a favorite piece because I didn't want to be playing. Oh, I liked that dog. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I realize now I have no beef with the pieces. Well, iron. There's a little iron. I do. That's kind of the most boring piece, I think. You know what I'm remembering now? You and I have played Monopoly before. Well, of course we have. What do you mean? I'm just now remembering. Of course we've played Monopoly together. What do you mean? Of we've course. We've known each other one million years. Of course we've played Monopoly <laughs> together. <laughs> and the rule is, if you've known someone for a million years, you have to have played Monopoly with them. So Lizzie's game had two sets of rules. If you played by the first set of rules, you learned about the evils of a monopoly by forcing you to bankrupt all your friends in order to win. See, that's where she made the mistake, is that people love bankrupting their friends. Apparently. (laughs) did not teach the lesson she hoped it would. In the second set of rules, Uh when you land on a property, instead of paying rent to the landowner, you put your rent in the public treasury, and those funds are then used to benefit everyone in the game. You know, players might get bonuses or free college, which I don't think is fair because my college wasn't free. Um, And yada, yada, yada. By the time you finish the game, you have learned a valuable lesson about how great life would be if we all invested in each other rather than buying Elon Musk more hair plugs. Brandy. You think Elon Musk has hair plugs? No, he probably has something way fancier than that. Probably. Probably that hair transplant thing you were telling me about. Yeah, for sure. I'm not really up to speed on this kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Much like 
economists from the late 1800s. Right. It's kind of a blind spot for me. <laughs> Lizzie's game was brilliant. She designed it so that children as young as nine could play the game and learn its lessons. Yeah, I never learned that lesson from Monopoly. Well, maybe you should listen to the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. Hmm. She said, hold on first. Why did you never learn that lesson? Well, I don't know that I was taking away any lessons from Monopoly. Oh, really? That's when you're taking away the most lessons, when you think you're not <laughs> taking any lessons at all. Mm. <laughs> In an article that she wrote about the game, she said that children could, quote, Learn that the quickest way to accumulate wealth and gain power is to get all the land they can in the best localities and hold on to it. Let the children once see clearly the gross injustice of our present land system, and when they grow up, if they are allowed to develop naturally, the evil will soon be remedied. That's the the original first verse of The Greatest Love of All. <laughs> what? I believe the children of the future. <laughs> That is why I created Landlord's Game. (laughs) Yeah, so as you pointed out, the thing that she maybe didn't anticipate was that people would enjoy the first version. Yeah. Where they'd crush their opponents and watch them sink into bankruptcy. Yeah. She also didn't anticipate that people would be so bored by the second set of rules that they would just, like, never play those. But, you know, of course, Lizzie was proud of the game. And rightfully so. She got her 1904 patent, and she told the media, In a short time, I hope a very short time, men and women will discover that they are poor because Carnegie and Rockefeller, maybe, have more than they know what to do with. Oh, shit. She got her patent renewed in 1924. Lizzie wanted as many people as possible to play the landlord's game, so she shared it around. She shared it with an economics professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and it spread to all these college campuses all up and down the East Coast. And But it spread as more of like a folk game. Are you familiar with this? No. Okay, so back in the day. like What's a folk game? It's kind of like folk music. Okay. So it's like before the, the 1800s was kind of when we first started having like packaged yeah. board games. But before that... You would just, like, make a board game, and you'd kind of just know the rules. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people yeah. would would have kind of the same game, but it wasn't something you went out and bought. bought. Yeah. So they said in this documentary that, like, Monopoly was kind of the last folk game because uh-huh. people were all kind of playing it, and they all had their own boards and their own pieces and their rules in their head. And, you know, maybe they had different names for it. Maybe they called it Inflation or Business or stop me if you've heard this one, Monopoly. Oh, that one I'm familiar with. By the 1920s, a Quaker teacher moved to Atlantic City and introduced the game to all the Quakes in Atlantic City. We see you, Quakes. (laughs) Big fan of Quakers. Yeah, we like Quakers. They were opposed to slavery. Oh, all right. Good set of history to be on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's that like? (laughs) And since, you know, they were playing the game, and since this was a folk game, they made their version specific to Atlantic City. They had the Boardwalk and Baltic Avenue, all the hits. This version became the monopoly we all know and hate. (laughs) So, decades later, when Ralph looked into all this, he was stunned and thrilled. 
He went to his legal team. He's like, good news. Parker Brothers clearly stole the game. The origin story they've been promoting is bullcrap. Yeah. The real inventor was a woman and the Quakers are involved. And do you know about the single tax idea? I sure do. And Ralph's lawyers were like, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on, hang on. Oh, I have a question. Yes. Does it Ralph not cuss or was that a conscious decision of yours to say bullcrap there instead of bullshit? That was my decision. Oh, OK. Try and clean it up a little. Well, no, I don't know that he said bullshit. I'm these these words are my own <laughs> <laughs> from my heart song. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Yo, this is the gist of it, Brandy. Right, this is right. the vibe. Okay, okay, thank you for the vibe. Thank you for the very cleaned up version of the vibe. Well, I did talk about people fisting themselves that twice in true. this episode, so I thought saying shit would be too much. That's right. You just pushed it over the edge. So the lawyers are like, hold on a second. Are you cursing right now or are you cleaning it up? (laughs) And they're also like, we need to figure out the deal with Charles Darrow. Yeah. Is he a big liar? Is this just the world's biggest coincidence? Is he a real person? (laughs) Mm. It's just a fabricated story. It might not even be a real person. My goodness. Is that the truth? (gasps) Oh, he was a liar. That's why you say you can't handle the truth. You yell it at me, Kristen. Oh. I would never yell at you, my darling, (laughs) unless you came up with a really stupid idea like putting rice in a Fred Flintstone push pop. No, that's rice (laughs) agoni. So Ralph kept digging. And pretty soon, pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon, you know what happened. It's getting so hot in here. <laughs> no, because you're a big baby about your allergies. My, eyes, my nose will start running if we turn the fan on. I can't handle okay. the dust. The dust, the <laughs> sniffles. Whew. All right. Do you need to take some clothes off? I would hate to make you uncomfortable, <laughs> Brandy. Hmm. Even though... I am wearing clean underwear. <laughs> Great! I'm so <laughs> pleased to hear that! <laughs> As you should be. <laughs> so pretty soon, I just want to clarify that I wear clean underwear every day. <laughs> I just don't want anyone being like, I relate to Kristen. It's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing, folks. <laughs> Ew. Brandy, I run. <laughs> That'd be disgusting. <laughs> you want to hear something else gross yeah so i told you we went over to our friends kate and tim's house for yeah. like a little bonfire thing saturday night well i had washed my hair like right before we uh-huh. went and you know i don't want to like dry these trusses yeah. out but like man oh, after you you're around like a campfire fi- after let me be more specific I got in the shower the next day just to wash my body. And I'm like, why? And after I had washed myself thoroughly. Yeah. I was like, why does it smell like beef jerky in here? It does smell like beef. That's exactly what it smells like. Mm-hmm. My hair. It's your hair. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Sweet, sweet juices. I'm glad you didn't smell it. You would have taken a bite out of me. <laughs> Do you still have your beef jerky subscription? No, it is a sore spot for me. They discontinued oh, my sorry. favorite flavor. So. Very sorry. Didn't realize that I was bringing up a traumatic subject. Yeah, it is. It's just very traumatic. (laughs) This is an example of me thinking I'm saying something light, 
And in reality, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Ralph kept digging, and pretty soon he found out about, 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 about oh my god. <laughs> Pretty soon, he found out about a couple named Charles and Olive Todd. I think I'm getting excited. I'm sorry. I'm bebopping around here. And boy, oh boy, did they have a story to tell. As it turned out, one evening in the early 1930s, they had invited the Darrows over for dinner. But were they real people or fake people? (laughs) What were you going to say? You just froze. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a glitch. <laughs> like Charles Darrow, I am also made up. <laughs> they had a nice meal, and afterward, Charles and Olive Todd busted out their handmade Monopoly game. Oh. They all played it, and Charles and Esther loved it. Few days later, Charles called Charles Todd up and was like, "Hey, I loved that game." He starts asking a bunch of questions about it and was like, "Hey, you know what? I would love, I would love to get those rules all written down for me." <laughs> and Charles Todd was like, "All right, I guess." So Charles Todd asked his secretary to write down the rules to this game. Charles Darrow just stole that game right out from other Charles. Mm-hmm. And went and got it patented? Yeah. Yeah, so he gets the rules to Charles Darrow. And then the Todds just didn't hear from the Darrows again. And they're like, what the hell happened? I thought well, we had a nice time. Like, Yeah, they stole your game and now they're super rich. Well, not yet. Soon. (laughs) (laughs) They're about to be swimming in swimming pools full of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. That's exactly what's about to happen, Brady. (laughs) But in the meantime, poor Charles and Oliver are like, did we say something? Yeah, was it something I said? One day, Charles Todd's just walking down the street and he passes a bank and he sees an advertisement for an event. The event was that Charles Darrow was going to introduce his new game that he just invented called Monopoly. So Charles is like, what the hell? Yeah. That's literally the game that they played over at our house. And now he's claiming he invented it? Yeah. There, so there was never any big confrontation but anytime the Todds were out in public and they spotted the Darrows, the Darrows were just skedaddle. And the Todds just like spit in their general direction. Yeah. But by that point, the Darrows were back in their swimming pool full yeah. of coins. Yeah. So they didn't just care. Scrooge McDucking it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did think we probably should have just put liquid in this. <laughs> the liquid as opposed to water? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if they wanted a nice milk bath. <laughs> you putting milk in your hot tub? May- oh, gross. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's disgusting. Oh, can you- good for your skin, though, right? Yeah, but imagine the smell. Oh. <laughs> I've got my beef jerky hair. <laughs> and I mean, I don't even know what my skin would smell like if I did that. It's not good. What if I just dumped in a bunch of bricks of Velveeta? Oh, make yourself a little Rotel bath? Yeah. I got chips on the side. I don't want those getting wet, obviously. That'd be gross. Anyway, should I get back to this? Yes. 
Yeah, so Charles Darrow took his invention to a bunch of game companies, and it's true, they all did reject him. It was the Great Depression. They figured that people wouldn't be interested in this, like, money-hungry game. But Charles got the game into a few major department stores, and people fucking liked it, which, again, I still don't understand, (laughs) but whatever. So once the Parker Brothers execs caught wind of that, they were like, baby, come back. And the head of Parker Brothers was this guy named Robert Barton, and he was the son-in-law of Mr. Parker himself. Oh, shit. And Robert was really feeling the pressure because Parker Brothers had this really good name, but they were on the verge of bankruptcy Mm -hmm. and they needed a hit. More specifically, they needed a hit that was only theirs. Mm -hmm. They needed a monopoly. Mm. Brandy, what I'm trying to tell you is they couldn't have another ping pong situation (laughs) on their hands. Not another tiddlywinks. That's for sure. I'm, of course, referring to the fact that Parker Brothers had ping pong. Yeah. And it was like big deal. People loved it. And then like other companies were like, hey, try our table tennis. Table tennis. So Robert, who was actually an attorney, met with Charles and Charles was like, yes, this is my invention. Rest assured, this will not be another disaster for you. Go ahead and buy it. And so in March of 1935, they signed a contract and Charles received seven grand, adjusted for inflation, $152,000. And he also got residuals. And the game got in stores and it sold really well. So, yeah, he became a millionaire. Scrooge McDuck. Mm-hmm. But over time, Mr. Barton became a little worried about the origins of this game. So he asked Charles Darrow to write up the full story of how exactly he invented Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, I fucking would. Okay, here's part of a letter that he wrote. Mm -hmm. Dear Mr. Barton, the history of Monopoly is really quite simple. Being unemployed at the time and badly needing anything to occupy my time, I made by hand a very crude game for the sole purpose of amusing myself. Later, friends called and we played the game, unnamed at that time. One of them asked me to make a copy for him, which I did, charging him $4. Friends of his wanted copies and so forth. And yeah, there you go, Brandy. It's a fucking lie. Is it or is it just a wonderful story and we should all accept it as fact? No, it's a lie. Parker Brothers loved the story. And so did everyone else. So many people could relate to that story. It was so inspiring. It was old timey Shark Tank. Monopoly twas the scrub daddy of its day. Absolutely. By 1936, Parker Brothers sold 1.8 million copies of Monopoly. Wow! I know! That was literally the most they could possibly make. They basically had all of Salem, Massachusetts, you know, witches and bitches included pitching in to make those little (laughs) boots and thimbles. But once this game became wildly popular, people started to be like, wait a second, this, this isn't a new game. This is that old game, finance or inflation or business or even landlord's game. Yeah. So the executives at Parker Brothers were basically shitting their pants. Yeah. Monopoly had saved them from bankruptcy, and they really didn't want Charles' story to be a lie. So they began buying up the rights to their competition. And that was fairly easy. 
The one they were nervous about was Lizzie McGee. She was the true inventor. Inventor, yeah. And she wasn't willing to go down without a fight. By that point, she was working as a secretary in Washington, D.C., and she was pissed off that Charles Darrow was taking credit for her invention. So she went to the Washington Post and told them her story, and they were like, damn, and they ran that story with her photo. And as a result, Mr. George Parker himself came out of retirement and took the train to Washington, D.C., and he met with Lizzie, hoping that they could smooth this thing over. Meaning, hopefully, she would keep quiet. No, 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 not not keep quiet. She'd already told the story. It was already out there. He charmed her. He told her he wanted to buy the rights to the landlord's game. He also wanted to buy the rights to two of her other games because they were so good. He told her that he wanted to give her credit as the inventor of this wonderful game that people were all playing and loving. He'd put her picture right there on the front of the box. Her name would be front and center. People would finally get to play this game the way it was meant to be played. People at last would learn about the single tax rule. Lizzie was really excited. Yeah, that's what she wanted. But they don't do any of that stuff. You don't know this story. Well, I've seen many Monopoly boxes. That's all Never you do. Never seen a picture of Lizzie McGee. <laughs> I wanted to say Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> You've also never seen her on them. <laughs> That's right. You know, she probably knew she wasn't dealing with, with the best people on earth, but she figured they've got this huge platform. This really is going to be the best way for me to get my message out there. Mm-hmm. George Parker talked her into signing away the rights to her game for $500. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so some of the articles I read said that She probably spent more money than that just getting those patents and stuff. Yeah. Just like he'd promised, he did publish The Landlord's Game. He also published her other games, Bargain Day and King's Men, which we all know and love. (laughs) Sure enough, her name. (laughs) That was rude, wasn't it? (laughs) Sure enough, her name was right there on the cover. Her picture was right there. Where? On the cover of Landlord's Game. They made a different version Landlord's Game? It's the same as fucking Monopoly. Not this one. Because when they actually printed the Landlord's Game, they made a bunch of changes to the board so that it no longer looked like Monopoly. Mm -hmm. And that's a fucked up way of putting it. Because Monopoly actually looked like Landlord's Game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Anyway, so they changed the way it looked entirely. And they they changed the way you played it. Yeah, so it wasn't her game at all anymore. They didn't include the second set of Lizzie's rules about the single tax system. Her entire point, her entire reason for inventing this game was lost. Parker Brothers printed the game, but didn't promote it in any way. And, of course, people didn't buy it. And that was kind of the point. Mm -hmm. So it faded into obscurity. Yeah. Two years later, her patent expired. And from that point forward, Charles Darrow received all the credit 
and all the financial rewards for Lizzie's invention. Mm -hmm. And Parker Brothers perpetuated this story because it was a great story. You want to hear something sad? Yeah, sure. Why not? So Lizzie died in 1948. And in the 1940 census, she listed her occupation as maker of games and her income as zero dollars. That is sad. Yeah. But, you know, decades later, Ralph was uncovering the truth for this legal battle, and he was incensed. He thought, okay, I've got something here. Charles Darrow didn't invent Monopoly. He stole it, and Parker Brothers' position here isn't nearly as solid as they want people to believe. But, you know, this was a very expensive legal battle. Yeah. How good was anti-Monopoly selling at this point? Enough to fund this legal battle? No. Yeah. Ralph and Ruth took out three mortgages on their home. Oh, gosh. And they were about to get foreclosed on. They were in a terrible position financially because Ralph had obviously had to take a bunch of time off work. Because he went and interviewed all these people. But they were about to get their day in court. But the day before this thing was set to go to court, General Mills made Ralph an offer. They offered him $700,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's about $3.5 million. But he could only take that money if he agreed to never talk about the true origins <gasps> of Monopoly ever again. Did he say no? He said no. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I know. People thought he was nuts. But he said he couldn't live with himself if he caved in to those yeah. demands. So they went to court. And okay, it was not a one-time deal. In fact, this legal battle dragged out for 10 years. Oh, my gosh. And since it's about trademarks and not weird sex stuff, I'm going to use my fast-forward button. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So Ralph's legal team set out to prove that Monopoly's patent was fraudulent. They told the story that I've already told about Lizzie McGee and how the folk game spread. They had nine very old people testify about how they'd played Monopoly as a folk game prior to 1935. Charles Todd testified about how he'd taught Charles Darrow how to play the game. They brought in the original game. And at some point, the Parker Brothers president, Robert Barton, was deposed and I think he was an asshole. He said that Lizzie's landlord game was completely worthless and that he'd only published a few of her games to, quote, make her happy. Mm -hmm. Blow it out your ass. The attorneys for General Mills also argued that Ralph had come up with his game in 1971 and originally called it Bust the Trust and it didn't sell well. So he changed the name to Anti-Monopoly and achieved, quote, notable market success. Hmm. Which, that's a decent argument. Big if true. Yeah. I I think that's pretty good. Yeah. District Judge Spencer Williams sided with General Mills, saying that there was a strong likelihood that the public would be confused about who created the Anti-Monopoly game. Yeah. Ralph appealed. And the appellate court was like, now, uh, lower court, you got it wrong. Sending this one back to you. At some point, Ralph lost again. This time, the judge ordered Ralph to hand over all of his anti-monopoly games to Parker Brothers. And just to be dicks, Parker Brothers took 40,000 copies of anti-monopoly 
and they called up the media and they went to a landfill in Minneapolis and they were like, watch what we're doing to this. And oh, my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that rude? Yes. And wasteful. Ralph was devastated. Yeah. But finally, in 1979, this thing went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and this time the court sided with Ralph. Ralph's team argued that Monopoly had become a generic name and was no longer associated with a specific manufacturer. And the court agreed. I don't know that I actually agree with that I myself, but I'm glad either, but... I'm glad this, you know. Yeah. They ordered General Mills, or was it Hasbro at this point, you know, yeah. who cares, to pay him back for all the games they destroyed, plus pay his court costs and damages. And Hasbro, or whomever, was like, you know what, this sucks, we hate this, we are taking this all the way to the United States Supreme Court! Court. And the Supreme Court was like, no, thank you, we don't have time for this. <laughs> so... After 10 years of fighting, Ralph won. How much won. did they pay him? Hang on. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> First, I have to tell you that in the episode of American Experience, they played this clip of Dan Rather announcing the verdict. And I think that the person who wrote this up for him was having too much fun okay, that day. Tell us. You ready? Yep. The makers of the popular board game Monopoly today drew a chance card and lost for real. They didn't go to jail, they didn't pass go, but lost their Monopoly on Monopoly. Oh! oh. <laughs> Ralph was vindicated. He'd stood up to a massive bully and won. And he'd forced the truth to come out about Lizzie McGee, Monopoly's true inventor. But this court ruling scared the shit out of a lot of big companies. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, Congress passed a statute that amended the Trademark Act so that anything that had been around for a super long time couldn't lose its trademark by being ruled generic. Mm. But that didn't impact Ralph. Yeah. He said, the little guy can win out sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that, my dear, is the true story of Monopoly. How much money did he get paid? I... I couldn't find exactly how mm -hmm. much because they ended up settling. Yeah. I saw in an article later that he actually began working with them to sell anti-monopoly, oh. like licensed. But then it kind of faded yeah. into obscurity. Okay. I don't know. All right. Great. The boy. Ones. Boy, you hated that, didn't you? <sighs> I don't know how much fucking money he got. That's fine. I bet he got a ton. I hope he got a ton. Although, I don't know. I know. I... If that's true, that he sold it under break the trust, bust, bust the trust, and that didn't sell. Bust a nut. And, the <laughs> and it sold great, but the customers weren't satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I think it, including the, the name Monopoly in there helped the sales. But it's anti-Monopoly, yeah, Brandy. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. hmm. What can we sell anti what can we what can we invent? All right, I'll get working on it. Make us bajillionaires. See, I'm worried that you you've already come up with your amazing idea. Oh, Rice-a-goni. Rice yeah, that's that's <laughs> it. I am tapped for ideas yeah, now. Certainly for today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe for a lifetime. It might be, who knows. <laughs> My goodness. You know, right now, wait. Oh, you know what we're going to do right now? What are we going to do right now? We're oh. going to do an ad. 
Oh, what? You don't like my songs? I love it. <laughs> Toodaloo. Oh, Lord. Do, do, do. Okay. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, we're back. Mm. Thank you for joining us. Brandy, what are we doing now? We're going to take some questions from the Discord. To get in the Discord, all you have to do is join our Patreon at the $5 level or higher. And then when we record, we ask for questions. And then we pick a few to answer. Ooh, Kristen's titties wants to know, how am I looking today? (laughs) Okay, this weekend I went out bra shopping. I hated every fucking minute of it. I couldn't even be sure. I was so beaten down. Uh Uh-huh. Here's the thing. I Your mom gave great advice on how to do a bra fitting. I didn't actually do all the steps. Yeah. I still want to do the steps, but I found myself near a bra store, and I was like, yeah. I've got to fucking do this. So I ended up settling for something that was better than the bra I wore walking into the store. Did you wear the bra out? <laughs> I wanted to, but I did not. And I'm wearing it right now. Excuse me. I'm wearing you, it right I mean, now. your, your titties look wonderful. Very perky. They do look perkier than they looked in the last bra. Wow, quit staring at me. <laughs> you force me to look at your tits every time I see you. She's obsessed with me. <laughs> oh, Lord. Lorenzo Monte Carlo wants to know, are expensive hair care products really better than the cheap ones? I don't think that's the ruler. I don't think they have to be expensive to be good, but I do think professional products are better than drugstore products. Professional products are formulated with higher quality ingredients and they are more concentrated, so they are more expensive, that they should last you longer than your drugstore brands are. Mm. Are there any drugstore brands that you'd like to shit upon today? No. Pantene. She wants to shit on Pantene. That's my least favorite. It's the worst thing Mm -hmm. you use on your hair. See. Literally the worst thing you use on your hair. Everyone, I'm a hero because she wasn't going to tell you. Yeah. 98 cent Alberto VO5 would be better than Pantene Pro-V. Oh. (laughs) Hey, some of us like VO5. (laughs) The hot oil. Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sheen Bops wants to know. I just received an accidental nude from a client today. Any accidental nude stories sent or received? Holy shit. Has that ever happened to you? No. Would you just die? I would die. I would just, like, I would cease to exist. You know how, no, you don't know because you probably haven't seen it. You know how Voldemort just becomes like dust at the end of the last Harry Potter movie? I actually do. That's exactly what would happen to me. (laughs) I would just blow away in the wind. No, for real. Do you? Th- I mean, you could recover, right? I no, no. What do you mean? No. no, I would never recover from that. One time, I accidentally sent a screenshot of my bank account to my mom and my sister, and I almost died of embarrassment from that. If I sent a nude to someone, I, I no. <laughs> Why did you feel the need to send them that? I didn't intend to send it to them. It was completely by accident. Did you want them to know that you needed help or that you were doing well? (laughs) Neither. (laughs) If I would have had one of those men in black fucking memory Uh wipers, I would have wiped their memories immediately. Okay, let's say you have to send a nude to someone other than David. Who do you send it to? I would be... 
I would send it to my sister Casey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it was going to be a toss up between you and Casey, but I no, think I would send no, it to Casey. No, it would absolutely yeah. be Casey. <laughs> yes. And I'd be like, Casey, send it to send me. Send it. And she'd be like, yeah, sure. I already sent absolutely it. Absolutely not. I posted it online. What? <laughs> <laughs> we can't even joke about this, I can we? I can't. I can't handle it. What would you have you ever sent an accidental nude to someone? No. Mm-mm. What would you do? I mean, I would definitely die because I like only text my family basically. Okay, so here's it would what happens. Be sent here's, to a family. That's what member. I was gonna say. Okay. You mean to send it to Norm. Mm-hmm. You accidentally send it in Norm's family. <gasps> oh, <laughs> oh God. I mean, it wouldn't kill me, though, but I'd be really embarrassed. I'd have to make a joke out of it. Of course. Yeah, that's 100% how you would handle it. I would leap off the highest building. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. MEC wants to know, would you rather literally never stop having kids like the Duggars or live a polygamous lifestyle? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. A polygamy is not for me, so I guess I just have to pop out kids like the Duggars. Oh, my God. Um, do I get to have a bunch of husbands or do I have to be like— No, you're one of many wives. Oh, God. Do I get my own house? Yeah, sure. And he only like comes yeah. and bothers me like once a week? Probably probably like, yeah, maybe once every 10 days. He's got a whole bunch of wives. Could, maybe that's the way to I do it. I would do that. I'm too needy for that. I need more attention than that. It's not going to work for me. How much attention do you think you're going to get if you got 21 kids? Mm, that is true. Well, I mean, probably a lot of attention actually now that I say that it requires out loud. a lot of banging to have that many kids so 21 times minimum I mean I think Jim Bob Duggar's just banging constantly right well yeah yeah the proof is right there in the pudding <laughs> it's disgusting it. Kristen what you're, you're the, the one, one that said, said the that. proof is in and then you realized how gross it was gonna be and so I you stopped. didn't finish it and then you acted like I'm the gross one for You are the gross one. (laughs) That top looks nice on you. (laughs) (laughs) The not-so-little mermaid wants to know, when you die, what would you want your last words to be? Who farted? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. I would want to do like uh, like I'm going to make some big reveal, uh-huh. <laughs> but then I cut it off before I actually reveal anything. Like, come closer. I've been keeping this secret for 82 years now. Mm-hmm. It was, and then I just die. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I must confess. That's what I'd say. I must confess, and then I die. Oh, my gosh. Okay, two whole new podcasts says, Brandy, what's the worst that could happen if you go on a game show? You lose and go home with an amazing story. Get it. No, that would be so embarrassing. (laughs) What if I embarrass myself on TV? What if I just stay on there and I don't know a single answer and I just look at – what if I completely freeze up? What if I'm so bad my episode can't even be aired? (laughs) That would be best case scenario, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, then no one knows. (laughs) 
know, but I've already told a bunch of people that I'm going on a game uh-huh. show. And then I know that, it, like, I shit my pants on stage and so they can't air it, right? Mm-hmm. And so then <laughs> people that I've already told, they're like, hey, hey, when's your episode airing? And I'm like, oh, I don't, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, it won't air. I don't know. I, I did that a while ago. Yeah, I'm not sure. I how to get new pants. That's not even worst case scenario. Worst case scenario <laughs> is like, okay, no, okay. This is worst case scenario. Okay, okay, that's like a bad scenario. Shit, right. I literally shit my pants. Yeah, that's on TV. pretty okay. bad. Worst case scenario <laughs> is like, okay, I don't know what game show it is, but imagine that I'm like, okay, I've done, I've done really well. I've made it to the final round, but I have to like come around something uh-huh. and like be in a different position for the final round, right? Okay. But as I'm like coming around this imaginary stage, my pants get hooked on something and they just rip off. <laughs> and there I am naked on a game show. <laughs> and I'm like, I knew I should have worn my tearaway pants. That was your first mistake. First mistake. Well, what? <laughs> no, see, I Worst case scenario <laughs> would be you're on a game show uh-huh. and you're doing terribly. And it's uh-huh. one of those elimination things. And oh, as yeah. you're being eliminated, oh. then you poop your pants. <laughs> and also, they come off. <laughs> you know? is, it, is it the weight of the poop? Like, is that what happens? They shoot it's right It's a off. real dense dump and my pants fall down. Don't say dense dump. Or you're wearing a wrap-around dress. Like, not a wrap-around dress. (laughs) But you get it. It gets caught on something. And it spins you. And by the time you're out of the scene, you're completely completely nude. nude. (laughs) And all anyone can talk about is how bad you were at the game and how naked you were at the end of it. That would be Horrible. <laughs> oh, I just bumped the mic. Oh my gosh. I would never survive. <laughs> I better yes, not go would. on a game show. <laughs> you should go on a game show. I think you'd have a great time. <laughs> and you know what I think we should do now? Supreme Court induction! Yes, my breath is so bad. Everyone it reeks of garlic. <laughs> we had so much garlic at lunch today. No regrets. No. What episode are we on? This is number 245. This is a story of a girl. Cry a river, drown the whole world. All right, we are continuing to read your names and your first celebrity crushes. And uh, to be part of this fabulous list of people, you just got to sign up for our Patreon at the $7 level or higher. Brandy is shaking her head at the screen. What could it mean? Bennett, WWE wrestler Randy Orton. Okay. Very happy for you, Bennett. Do you smell what Randy <laughs> Orton's cooking? What, no. <laughs> I don't know wrestling. Kira Beck. Devin Sawa. Sarah Keeler. John Travolta in Greece. Uh, we just we just happened to catch a little bit of standing at the stranded at the drive-in the other night. Oh really? That's pretty good. <laughs> just on TV. Anyway, nobody cared. Zach Vaught. Sarah Michelle Geller. Laura Turner. 
Lance Bass. Absolutely. Kim Salerno. Spike from Buffy. Monica Chavez. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Maureen. Oh, wait, sorry. Maureen! Jesse McCartney. <laughs> Jill Fry. Bill Bixby. Who's Bill Bixby? I don't know. You expect me to know? I don't know. I thought you might. Hannah Hilton. Tom Hanks, specifically in Castaway. Really? Pro? I mean, pre getting stranded on the island or like in No, I think she likes that island look. Island look with the bleached beard and the Mm. ribs showing and all that. My goodness. Loincloth. You like loincloth, Tom Mm -hmm. Hanks. All right. All right. Lexi Howard. Aaron Carter. Sarah Eilers. Nick Jonas. Stacey Fuller. Johnny Knoxville. Anna Lord. Adam Brody. Jenica Lindbergh. Jesse McCartney. Kristen Bright. Ashton Kutcher. Connie Hernandez. Christina Ricci. Brittany. Joshua Jackson. I remember that guy. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, Pacey. Is it Pacey on Dawson's Creek? I did not watch that program. Okay, great. Welcome, Welcome to the Supreme Court. Thank you, everyone, for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and then head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Then be sure to join us next week when we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from an episode of American Experience titled Ruthless, Monopoly's Secret History, as well as articles in The Guardian, Newspapers.com, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. I got my info from an episode of 48 Hours, an episode of Dateline, ChillingCrimes.com, Oxygen, The Review Times, and The Sandusky Register. For a full list of our sources, visit LGTCPodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. <laughs>